Welcome to a very special episode 12 of Lave Radio. Everything you're about to hear was recorded live at LaveCon 2013, which was held on the 29th of June in Cheltenham Spa. We want to thank everybody who attended and all the panellists for making the event such a success. If you didn't make it to the event, then we hope to see you at the next one. You're listening to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. <laughs> Late Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the computer game Elite 4, Elite Dangerous. I'm one of your hosts, second technician, Forza Forrester, and we are out of the orange sidewinder tonight. We are planet side at LaveCon. Joining me this evening is the destabilizer of stock markets, John Stabler. Hello. <laughs> the station master himself, Alan Stroud. Cheers, Fars. And the man suddenly finding himself with a bit more time on his hands, Commander Thane, Chris <laughs> Jarvis. Hello. And for one night only, a live studio audience, the LaveCon crew. Yay! A couple of people have come up and asked, you know, why did we get involved with what's our connection to uh, Frontier Developments, etc., etc.? Um, as Michael is very happy to announce, we have no connection whatsoever <laughs> with Frontier <laughs> Developments. <laughs> Um, basically, I mean, from my background itself, I literally got on this from uh, from the Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter comments page uh, led me to a guy called Christopher Gavin. Gavin, who is he uh, here tonight? Oh, we, please say he's here. That would be awesome. <laughs> Christopher Gavin basically uh, had the idea of doing the podcast. So you know, fair play to him. He got everybody together. He put the the message out on the forums for anybody that was interested, and I basically responded to that. I have no other reason of being here apart from the fact that I'm a complete fanboy for Elite and have loved it since the first game came out in the 80s. Um, so Alan, who's slightly got more credentials than the rest of us, seeing as he's writing some of the, the background for it. Um, yeah, Chris Gavin um, had the idea. He contacted Foz first of all. Um, we know that he contacted Foz first of all because they tried to record an episode between the two of them. <laughs> Apparently it was really painful. No one's ever seen that recording. Okay, none of us have seen that recording. I'm sure Foz has a copy. Somewhere. Never, ever going to see that recording. <laughs> so anyway, I, I contacted, or uh, Chris Gavin contacted me, and then um, I said, well, yeah, you know, I could come on and, and do, do one short little section or something, uh, just once, <laughs> fine. Oh, oh, no, I'd like you to be on straight away. Okay, then. So um, I end up on this Skype call. I've never used Skype, incidentally. end up on this Skype call with Foz and with John, who I've never met before tonight. Um, and... We, we sort of got this stuff together and they, we had this very awful recording software that Chris had decided he was going to use. Um, and Chris uh, Gavin and, now. Yes, Chris yeah, Gavin, okay. not Chris Jarvis, replacement Chris, not uh, uh, you know, uh, Commander Thane Chris. And um, <laughs> he, uh, we set up to record, pressed record, and we'd all sort of said, okay, Chris Gavin, you're going to host. And um, there was silence. <laughs> And after 20 seconds, we, John, myself, and Foz are sitting there, and uh, Chris just went, sorry, guys, I, I, I can't do it. I've, I've, got, I've got nothing to say. I've, I, I've got, yeah, I've got nothing to say. I, I just, and so we kind of rescued. And then um, I, I was sort of obviously working on, on other bits and pieces for, for the game and looking at uh, particular bits and pieces and stuff. And um, gradually, we... we We'd recorded this two hours, and um, we started to ask Chris, you know, when, when are you going to edit this? When's this going to come out? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll be next week. Okay, right. So um, how's it going? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Should be about four days. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. And of course, the only person who actually had the sound files apart from Chris was John. And John would chime in with something along the lines of, 
Um, yeah, these sound files are really dodgy, and there's no way that anyone could ever edit anything out of these. So after uh, about a, a week or so, I then said, look, Chris, this needs to come out by this date, otherwise I'm afraid we're going to have to sort of try and do something else. And so he said, yeah, 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 be fine. And so in the meantime, we set up to record another episode <laughs> and invited in Chris Jarvis. Hey. Hey. The saviour of Lave Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so then between the four of us, we recorded uh, the first episode that you've heard. But we still have a copy of the really awful recording. Um, it won't probably, uh, you know, don't, don't, you don't want it. All right. You, it's only like something that you, you know. You don't have it, so you think you want it, but you don't want it because it's shit. So you don't want it. Trust us, we were there. Um, but Chris, oh. Oh, I knew you'd be eating. I knew it. I knew it. You, you could have gone to John. You could talk to John about the fact that John agreed to edit. You know? Yeah, um, I joined the podcast on the proviso that I would not be editing it. Uh, but, uh, I edit the podcast now. And that's it, really. Um, you, you do a bit more. Did, didn't you get all that situation with lots of women and yeah, well, stuff? Because yeah. everyone thinks you're amazing now. Yeah, no, you know, luckily I've, I've changed my local supermarket so I don't get, you know, the same women coming up to me saying, hey, you're that guy off Lave Radio. It doesn't happen anymore. It's sorted. Um, Chris? Chris, have you finished eating? <laughs> Just about. I still got a bit to go, but I'm, you know, I'm pacing myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I got a call from from Alan. Um, for those of you that don't know, Alan and I kind of uh, we went to university once years and years ago, um, and we sort of you know we've stayed in touch. And I got this call from Alan about. Um, he said, he said, oh, he said, he said, what do you know about Elite? And I said, oh, I, I played it uh, when I was about five. Didn't get it. Um, I think I think I, I thought I thought the whole game you was landing five. on five. You weren't five, I wasn't Chris. Five, if no. you were five, then that makes me five as well, and that would suggest that I played Elite when I was five. When did it I, come out? Eighty-four. Eighty-four. Okay, I was five. six, seven-ish, <laughs> something like. But anyway, I, I kind of I didn't get it, and I realised. Um, the reasons now why I didn't get it. I've no. When when I was that age, I still don't understand it. But things like trade and stuff actually having a value for money, I definitely didn't understand at that age. So I thought the whole game was landing in the rotating thing in front of you. And once <laughs> I learned how to do that, I was kind of like, I don't understand what the rest of this is. What are all these menus? So I was kind of I missed that. But I was Frontier was it was a huge game for me. I was about fourteen, fifteen, and. Um, very, you know, kind of very imaginative, and I lost, I lost so much time playing Frontier. Um, so, you know, Alan phoned me up and said, "What do you know?" I said, "Well, you know, there, there was this," and he said, "Oh, I've got, I've got involved in this thing," and he kind of explained to me what he was doing, doing with Frontier. And I said, "Oh, that's that's, that's interesting," and um, he said, um, "He said, do you want to be involved in a podcast?" And I said, uh, "I said, yeah." Well, I said, "Well, I don't know, you know, very much about." what's been going on with it. And he said, no, no, that's fine. He said, that's fine. We'll get you up to speed. We'll get you up to speed. So I was thinking, you know, I didn't realise what they'd been doing. And I was thinking that a few weeks down the line, I'd get this call saying, right, we're going to do the podcast now. So I was kind of, you know, relaxing a bit. And then about a day later, it was kind of like, we're recording this Thursday. So literally on the, on the first podcast, I think I'd spent maybe the afternoon reading the forums <laughs> at Chris's show notes. And obviously, you know, I was a huge fan of Elite and Frontier. And I'm, I genuinely knew very little about the actual Kickstarter or the process that gone on. And by the time I got involved, most of the Kickstarters, apart from Alan's, had actually finished. 
Um, so I kind of, I think I've always been brought in as the kind of the ignorant everyman uh, who knows absolutely nothing about anything. Um, That's mostly right. That is, <laughs> and, um, and and you know, and that was that was kind of that really. Where did you want to go now, Foz? Well, actually, I was. <laughs> it's a very passive-aggressive podcast. By <laughs> you don't see, you don't see this on the recording because we edit it all out. <laughs> Quick show of hands. Sorry again for the audio podcast. Who's actually been on the uh, the community involvement show, the Conclave? Yeah. Quite a lot of it, but obviously we do this main show, we also do the Conclave, which is the Community Interaction <laughs> Show and the Writers Forum, so it, mm. from something that was mainly going to be just a one-off podcast, um, it has blossomed, and that's down to the fact that the community has grown and been so uh, welcoming to us. And from there, and talking about welcoming, I think it's probably wise to bring the person who's probably the most welcome in the room up on stage. Big round of applause for Michael Brooks, Senior Producer of Frontier Development. So I guess uh, most of you will recognise me some, from some wonderful photo chops. <laughs> well, it's a bit warm for that, and uh, I don't want to uh, inflict that on anyone. Uh, so obviously, uh, I'd like to thank everyone for their sort of support and uh, the community that's already been mentioned. I think without it, Elite Dangerous wouldn't be happening. I think that's quite a simple fact. We kind of looked into doing it every years past with publishers and so forth. And, well, to be honest, we wanted to do it our way. And this is the only way that we've been able to do that. So, thank you all. And the other 27,500 of you. <laughs> yes, yes, feel here. Feel here that we poor, we poor folk are representing a thousand people each. Indeed. Okay. Um, um, just feel the weight of that, that presence behind you. Uh, so, enough of my waffle. Let's start with some questions. Well, Michael, I was going to say, why don't you um, take us through the, the process of why you decided to go down the Kickstarter route? How long has it been the pipeline, and why did you choose to wait until the UK Kickstarter, as opposed to doing it with the American Kickstarter? So, there's probably a few things that I'm not allowed to talk about, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, so, some things have to remain uh, closeted. Uh, <laughs> unfortunate choice of words. Never mind, I'm here all night. Um, <laughs> He'll be in the closet. Yeah, okay. that's probably the safest place to be. Uh, so as I say, it's, it's, it's come up sort of over the years. I mean, I think we've been sort of looking at each floor for, for, for 12 years, 15 years, something like that, on and off. Certainly longer than I've been at Frontier, and I've been there 10 years now. So, um, And it's gone through various iterations of sort of ideas. Um, I think at one stage there was a, a running around component, uh, which some of you pretty know will be coming back at some stage. Um, and as I say, sort of talking with publishers, publishers obviously, uh, they, they need to look after their own interests. Um, and I don't want to sit here and say that working with publishers is bad, because that's not, the, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but with something like Elite, it's very much David's sort of baby, um, so he wants to do it his way. And Kickstarter provided the opportunity for him to do that. Um, I think the timing of the UK Kickstarter was serendipitous, and I'll probably leave it at that. Okay, more questions? Okay, let's hit the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd actually quite like to know, Michael. So, what's your what's your own personal history with Frontier, and what sort of other games have you? So, I joined uh, Frontier in two thousand three, um, working on Dog's Life and Washington Gromits. I was a lowly tester back then. In fact, I was the only tester back then. So that meant very busy days. Uh, that hasn't changed. 
Um, and since then, I sort of worked up and I ended up being in charge of the QA department. And then they asked me to move over into production uh, for Thrill Ball in 2007. So, yes. Uh, I've basically worked on every game Frontier's done in the last 10 years. So. Okay. Um, I, you are a prolific writer, as we know, and those of us here from the Writers' Forum. I uh, prefer the word awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but ha ha are you finding it frustrating as a writer yourself to be spending so much time dealing with, you know, how is it dealing with us eccentric <laughs> writer types in the forums and, and, and is it kind of holding you back from what you really love doing? Uh, I would say, well, it's, it's kind of a sort of bridge between what I do normally during the day, which is sort of deal with David and the designers and programmers and so forth. And um, so I just see the authors as another sort of branch of discipline that I kind of have to deal with, with developing the project. Um, being a writer, I'm obviously interested, and in, obviously I'm going to be writing uh, a book whenever I get round to it, uh, <laughs> for Elite. And uh, so, I mean, I've been quite lucky with Alan and Dave and TJ and various other people sort of helping contribute to the, um, the history and collating information for the previous games. And I think we were off to a good start, really, because the games have got their own sort of uh, unique history to them. Um, Sometimes it gets a little stressful, um, but I think everything does. So. Are all the writers in the starting blocks now with approved proposals and ready to go, or are you still ready? Uh, no. no. Really? <laughs> I'm not naming. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just put a follow-on question to that, seeing as I liked every single writer project that was going. Um, what's going to happen to those people that don't show up? Is there anything that Frontier Developments can actually do to bring them into the fold, or give them a kick up the arse? Well, I, I do prod people uh, mm. to make sure that they're sort of keeping up with what, what they should be doing. But if they're a no-show, there isn't really much we can do about that, unfortunately. I think, I mean, as part of the, the deal, isn't it, that um, essentially the idea is that they have the ability to write a yes, piece. Yes, they buy the, 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 the license, so, so to speak. I mean, actually. obviously there is, a, there is a, an assumption, a little bit of an assumption mm. by, by perhaps some people that back or, or some of us even that... Um, that the piece that they would write would come out with the game because that, you know, to my view, that's, you know, it's a no-brainer to me in terms of if I want my piece to come out with the game because that's the best possible time. Um, but I would assume that there are some individuals that may go, yes. okay, well, and circumstances have happened that I can't do that. And so I can't obviously speak later. to uh, specifics of yeah. some of the people's plans, but yeah. other people have got actual plans of how they want to release the book. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily tie in with how we release the game. Just going on something else that you probably can't talk about. Um, <laughs> the official publishing house uh, that took the three writers' slots. Galant. Galant. What's your interaction been with them? And are they planning on producing books that will come out at the same time as the game? Or are they staggering them? So they are working on the books. I can't tell you who the authors are. And uh, that's up, for, up to Galant to announce, not me. Um, I do know that they're sort of named authors. Uh, I've read some of their work and it's excellent. Um, yes. They are, they're sort of working to the same schedule we all are. So, uh, Drew had a question up back there. Uh, yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, just a question about the Kickstarter. Were, were the writers' packs um, there right from the off in the planning? Because they only turned up in the Kickstarter as an awards year a little bit later on. Uh, was that your intention early on to do that? Or was no, that sort of something that came up as a, th a thought? That kind of got, uh, happened when I got involved, uh, in that David actually asked me. Uh, did I want to write the uh, elite novel for him? 
Um, I said yes, obviously. I mean, I thought about it for maybe a nanosecond or so. Uh, uh, and said yes. And then we discussed that, you know, obviously there's a franchise there and there's a universe that people can tap into. Uh, we knew that fan fiction had been written in the past, you know, somewhere it was pretty cool. Um, so we thought, well, let's put a few out there and see if there's any interest. Uh, and there was. The DDF, I mean, this is something we were talking about earlier in the bar, actually. The DDF forum is just crazy busy, right? There's so much going on there. Did Elite Dangerous Production Team have any idea how much time that was going to suck up? And no, I think we seriously underestimated how much effort it was going to be to organise the DDF. And I think anyone who's on the DDF, uh, the first week, I think, was mm. just mad chaos. Um, so we had to take a step back and say, actually, we need to control what we're getting out of the DDF to make it useful. I mean, we could have left it as a free-for-all, but we wouldn't have gained anything from that. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think that's sort of a disservice to the people who've paid the money to be on the DDF. And also, it's a wasted opportunity for us. Um, the DDF has turned out to be a very useful tool for the designers. Um, you know, on, on the simplest level, it's kind of a, a focus group. I mean, we understand in some ways it has some biases, um, but that's fine. Uh, but on the other hand, when we put sort of design proposals together, people chew it over and they come up with ideas that we hadn't necessarily thought of, or they come up with problems that we hadn't necessarily thought of. Um, so we then sort of absorb all that and then come up with a new proposal, which is then um, discussed internally and then approved for implementation. How has changes and proposals coming through the DDF resulted in engine changes to the actual game? Uh, so I think the biggest one is the in-system travel. Uh, while I can't say what we're looking at at the moment, um, we do know that our initial proposal wasn't favourably uh, received, um, which is a bit of a shame because I think actually there were things, I don't think we sold it well enough, um, but we took it on board that people wanted sort of more open travel. Um, so we're looking into how we can make that happen while still maintaining the goals of the game. So one of the key goals, well, there's two key goals to the game. So one, we wanted it to be multiplayer, which I know some people don't agree with, but that's <laughs> one of our tenets. That's part of the point. It's fine, ignore them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the other is that we wanted the evolving galaxy, which doesn't necessarily reflect directly onto that question, but they were the two big tenets for, for the new game. Um, so we are currently looking at, we have quite an interesting proposal um, that we're just costing up to see how much development time it is. I'm Andrew, I'm on the DDF. My question's about that. Um, if, you were, if you were to describe it to someone else in the industry that was thinking about having something like an EDF, what would you say? Would you say don't do it, or do do it, or do it differently? I think it would depend a lot on the game and the community. Uh, without a sort of dedicated community, and I think without a history to the game, it becomes very difficult. Yeah. If you were doing something that is a completely fresh game, uh, that's a completely new idea, then I think you need a much more focused approach. Um, where with Elite, there's a lot of history. So obviously there's fans who are already fans that we want to make sure that we don't piss off too much. Um, but we also want to make sure that we attract more fans. Um, so there's a sort of balance there between keeping you know, the hardcore fans, I mean, I've been playing it since the mid eighties, um, to people who have, have never played it. And we want it to be a commercial success as well as a critical success. Um, but yeah, it's a tricky balance. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting to me since since I sort of found out about the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter, um, in terms of it's kind of a complicated games industry question, but has Elite Dangerous, with you making more on the Kickstarter than you, you obviously had necessarily had your target, 
Has Elite Four essentially already made its money and you're sort of paying back the backers? Or is there still an element of it that it needs to be financially successful as a release going forward? I mean, is this game financially a success for you, whatever so, happens? I don't know. I would say that really any, anything that you release and want to sustain development for, like we do, needs to be a commercial success. Um, and, you know, I want my island in the Bahamas as well, so... <laughs> I think we can, we can create that on a virtual yeah. earth in the middle of the virtual that's game, and you'll probably have Brooks Island, won't you? you know, I mean, that would be, fine. Cool. be a landing area, and we can drop an energy bomb on it. <laughs> yeah. but, but does that change anything about the way you make the game, thinking that it needs to be a kind of broad commercial success as well? It does to a certain extent, but we don't, we don't sort of do the... We're, doing, we're making the game as a game that we want to make, that we then hope that other people will want to play, rather than trying to make a game that we think people will buy. I think going down that route is where sometimes the publishers fall down a little bit. You know, they have their focus groups, they have, um, you know, they've got to make the money there and then, where I think we see this as a bit more long term. I mean, it's been 15 years in the making, so yeah, it's a long term plan. <laughs> Hello, uh, it's John Whitehouse, and I've been playing the lead since 84 on the BBC Micro, so um, I'm just wondering how... It's um, quite a bollocks thing, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we're going to have to announce that for every time we think that's good. Sorry, go on. <laughs> how difficult has it been to um, balance the, the initial Ellie universe with the frontier and frontier and first encounters? Yep, uh, so that's a good question and another one that upsets various pe people in the house. I was affectionate a cat call then, but never mind. <laughs> so, so I think there's two, two aspects to that. So probably the, for me, the most important one is the gameplay side of it. Uh, so the original Elite was a much simpler game. Um, and I would hazard to say that actually in some ways it's a more fun game. It's not as good an, as an experience. I think the, the, the sequels um, were a tremendous experience, but they weren't as much fun to play. Um, especially if you've got rubbish thumbs like I am. <laughs> um, with the fiction, there is a, there is a huge discrepancy that, uh, to an extent, we've kind of ignored. Um, to, to some people's uh, displeasure. Uh, I think, that, well, basically when the sequels were made, everything that was in the original Elite was pretty much thrown away, except some of the core concepts. Um, and there was a lot of things in the original Elite that were just done for fun rather than for any coherent reason. Um, so they've been sort of quietly or not so quietly shelved. Hi, um, Nick Finch. Uh, I, I'm not on the DDF forum, so maybe this question's a bit half-fake, but um, obviously the Elite universe is quite massive. Yep. Um, and you've come up with these three factions and a couple of alien races, maybe. Um, but how much of the universe is actually sort of populated? And how much of it is... I mean, so uh, the year. So it's set in about a thousand years in the future. Um, uh, humanity occupies around a 250 light year bubble, which I think is about 0.001% of the galaxy. Um, the Thargoids, I can't really say too much, uh, <laughs> but we, <laughs> humanity is small compared to the Thargoids, and they still only occupy a few percent. And there is basically, if you sort of look at the number of inhabited worlds, I think we're looking at around 60 or 70,000. Um, so you've got 200 sort of light year bubbles, as I say, to play with. 
uh, considering there's 400 billion systems in the galaxy we currently have modelled. Um, that's quite small. So is it likely that players will sort of exceed that threshold? What you... Yes, we certainly expect people to be going off into deep space. Um, there will be interesting things to find and we will be uh, adding to the universe in uh, sort of expansions and updates as well. I think just, um, just to sort of offer something of a comment on that, one of the things that happens when, so this is my experience through um, looking at some of the theoretical study of sandbox style um, uh, environments, when players hit walls, sometimes people when they design games and when they design other experiences, they look to try and create fulcrums that divide the players back into the centre. And actually, what you have here is you have a conceptual design where uh, a game has been created where the walls are so far away that hopefully you won't hit them. And I think actually that's a very different approach. Uh, I think that's probably a, a, an interesting approach to, to, to take. Um, much as, and I'm, I'm not talking about all the walls, you know, there will be other walls and things will happen and people will try things and, you know, stuff will happen. Occasionally, we're all going to get frustrated at some point. Um, die, die. Um, but um, the, the point being is that the actual, um, the actual journey wall, I don't think anybody's going to hit. I no. don't think that will. Uh, well, it's 100,000 light years. Yeah, so exactly, you know. Which is an interesting comment because uh, those of you that have listened to a certain interview of someone in the room, was actually a thing that got them interested in the game in the first place and the fact that in the original game you could just set off <coughs> and try and reach the end of the galaxy and just keep on flying your ship and flying your ship and flying your ship and flying your ship. Did you, did you not hear what John Harper did as well, where John Harper tried to get across the galaxy by escape podding? and destroying his ship every time so that he could keep going and going and going and get across the frontier galaxy. Yeah, Did no, you make it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think the answer was... I, I, you know, the fact that he'd done it was, was you know, I think, 48 hours straight, something like that, gone, 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 gone. So, I mean, sort of continuing to that point as well, I know some people have sort of expressed the worry that uh, the players have become too diffuse or the, there won't be enough interesting things to do. But even if you sort of stayed within that 200 light year bubble, there's 120 odd thousand sort of star systems to play in. But amongst those, you've got sort of core systems, of which there's probably only going to be sort of in the order of dozens. Mm -hmm. um, so when you first start playing, you sort of get to know sort of little routes. Um, although the intention is not that you can just sort of establish milk runs and just keep doing the same thing over the time. What we want to do is get people sort of exploring out. But when they feel comfortable to do so, I mean, if you're feeling gung ho, you can just do it straight away. I mean, I've, I'm already getting my, uh, ex, my Explorer's Cobra and I'll be starting on the edge of space and just heading, heading offwards. Um, but again, I think it's something that wasn't really uh, maximised in the earlier games is exploration. Yeah. And I think that's something we really want to sort of tackle on it in this one. It gives you a very distinct identity, doesn't it? Yep. Okay, I've got a question. Yeah, yeah it's great. One of the um, apology writers. But the question on the forums, going back to the forums, the, you had the big uh, try poll question and it was whether it was the PvP was always on. Yeah. Well, what's your, what would be your <laughs> idea there? So if you can answer it. I mean, for me, I vote it's always on. I have a theory that that might keep the galaxy... For me, I, I, I would do Iron Man all the way. PvP for everyone and Iron Man. Uh, so you die, you die. Um, however, you know, some people don't like to play that way. And we certainly don't want to be in a situation by alienating a load of potential customers if we can't accommodate them without breaking the game. Um, so I think it's something that hasn't 
fully been decided. I mean, we thought to an extent the groups would kind of solve that problem, um, but I don't think it has, to be honest. I think people want something that's a bit more all-inclusive. One of the things that, as a, as, the, as a show, we're very conscious about is the fact you've got four guys who are broadcasting to everybody with, obviously, our own opinions. And as I said, we're just fans of the game. So when we say, you know, all of our opinions and our speculations, they're no more valid than anybody else out there that's listening to the show. But because we're broadcasting the show, <laughs> yeah, they get a certain amount of uh, sort of recognition. With the DDF, it's exactly the same. Private Backers Forum, again, exactly the same. And overall, the forums in general. So what was interesting to me with that tripod was the fact that we're obviously the loud minority saying, you know, PVP go home, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to meet anybody else in the universe. Um, and yet when you see that tripod opened up to everybody, even through the different forums, the results were a resounding, give us PV, uh, PVP. But, but it, was a, it was a lot for that, so I wonder, is there a point when you have to say, you know, you can't have it both ways sometimes, which way would you guys go? I think you're going to find yourself in the majority here. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I would you know, take, take issue with Foz's point in terms of saying a minority. I think we're pretty much all hardcore PvP, to well, be honest. Is it? <laughs> see, I, see I, I'm in the position, see, I want PvP, but I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I kind of, I'd, be, I'd be very disappointed if I were to go back into an elite universe and a lot of those other ships weren't other players. And, and I'm kind of, even as a person in the real world, I love other people, I just don't enjoy spending time with them. <laughs> <laughs> or interacting with them. Um, I, I, th I think what Chris is trying to say is PvP is it's a lot like sex. I am. <laughs> Tell me more. That was it. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm probably the, the exception in, in that I like losing. I actually genuinely like losing because I find that um, in a game, the more poignant experience is when you lose and when you have to try and make do with the bits and pieces that you have left. And I think the thing to remember as well is even though, even if it is a completely PvP universe, which I'm not saying it's going to be, um, <laughs> but the idea is that there will be sort of safety zones, and not quite in the same way that Eve does it, sort of null second uh, and all that, but it's more based on sort of responses. And the idea that players can help each other out as well. I mean, I see cooperative probably being the sort of more prominent multiplayer in the game. I mean, I think exploration is another good example of that. To really explore far into the galaxy, you need a supply chain. The point I was trying to make was obviously, you've got this focus group within the forums and everything else, and we're all very loud and all very passionate, but you want the game to be a commercial success. Yes. So, how so we also just... wanted to be a game that we enjoy. If it's not a game that we would play, then we kind of defeated the whole point of doing the Kickstarter. But can you give us assurances that you <laughs> stop listening to us? We will take what we think is useful from the discussions. I was lucky enough to speak to David Brayman around Christmas time. Uh, I did an interview with him, and one of the things that we spoke about in some depth was PvP because I'm a, a massive MMO fan, and I hate PvP because it's just full of aggressive teenagers who've got far too much, much testosterone and think that it. <laughs> but it's, it's it's not fun, right? It's not fun to get ganged repeatedly by somebody who's who's just got too much testosterone running through his <laughs> And one of the things that, that David said, which I thought was actually really interesting about the PvP angle, was that the, the whole concept of elite and the bounty system and the the way that you your your sort of 
attractiveness to other players becomes uh, greatly enhanced by your direct actions actually means that the whole PvP system could be completely self-policing. The other thing to remember um, is that you invest a lot in your ship and developing it and getting all the equipment. Um, it's not like Dining Cod or in World of Tanks where you let's say die and you respawn. Yes, there is insurance on your ship, but you have to sort of rebuild from where you were. Um, and if you're going around causing trouble and you're collecting bounties, then every time you respawn, that's costing you money. So there is a sort of declining cycle. There's an additional thing here in that um, conceptually what we're actually talking about is that the, the way in which a great deal of games have, have played with um, players fighting or being against players is very linear. Yep. Um, I have a ship, you have a ship, let's fight, one of us is dead. Ha ha, Yabu sucks. Okay, that's it. Um, but when you actually start breaking this down into competition, it becomes much more interesting. If you say, here is Jagged Banner's latest release, you've got to take it from this star system to this star system, whoever gets there first gets this, that's so much more interesting than uh, just having a dogfight. Similarly, if you, you, know, if you put a, a bounty on somebody and say the first one to get it, is you know gets this particular title gets this particular thing if you ask people to to um to contribute particular um ways in which they trade in the game or ways in which they do other stuff in the game that then puts them in competition with each other then actually it becomes much richer and if you create a game that fosters those different kind of environments um then it becomes much more interesting and unfortunately for me i'm, I'm kind of um I'm kind of uh, uh, gorged on that kind of experience because I'm a live role player, and that's actually what we kind of do. We do, you know, we go out there and and spend a bit of time trying to get the information to somewhere quicker than somebody else gets the information to somewhere, or make sure that our spin is put on the latest politics, and that way we get the promotion, we get the extra money, etc., etc., etc. And that's the kind of conceptual ideas that I think PvP can do, and I think this game can do because there's so many aspects to it, but. You know, I mean, we'll wait and see. We'll leave it to you. To, <laughs> hey. you know. hey, Liam, uh, Michael, you know my other forms. Um, there have been many space uh, trading type games since the first Elite came out. So there is bound to be crossover features in Elite Dangerous, you know, th things that have been done in previous games. So how do you avoid imitating, copying, replicating things done in previous games or games currently being made like Star Citizen, for example, and make them unique to Elite, even though there's also been done in these other games? So I don't think any game that's been done since Elite has matched Elite. I think they've, there's been a lot of good, good games done. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Wing Commander. They're excellent sort of dogfighting and story-based uh, adventures, really. Um, I think with Elite, there's a kind of authenticity to it that we really want to maintain. It, it is our Milky Way. You can fly past Jupiter and then go on to Sirius, and you know you can see um, all that's actually there. I think I agree that there has been games that have done some of the sort of core concepts. So you've got your flying around, trading, upgrading your ship, um, and to a certain extent, we are doing something that's very similar. But we want to try and take that um, to another step, and I think. Uh, the Evolving Galaxy is probably one of the, for me, it's the most exciting feature of it, is that the universe that you're flying around changes uh, depending on what you do into it. Now, it's not as simple as just one person doing one thing and that has a sort of ricochet effect. It's a sort of aggregated, um, so if you have a lot of players 
cargo running or whatever, then they can change what's happening in that system. So can I just jump in just off the back of that point? So do you have, outside of the kind of space sim, do you, do you um, obviously in a non-copyright breaching lit- litigation way, do you have other games that you kind of play? Um, we can cut, we'll, we'll cut that question, it'll be, it'll be seamless in the uh, podcast. Um, do, do you have other games that aren't space games that you look at certain features and think, that would actually really grow elite. Well, we're gamers anyway, so I mean, I played most of the space sims that are out there: Freelancer, uh, Dark Star, X. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of familiar with, with, with what other people have done, and that all that does tends to do for me is it highlights that they do a few things very well. So then you have a look at how they've done that well, um, but then you see that there's, you know, there's quite a lot. I think, for example, with X, um, it's great fun, but I ended up playing it as a fleet management game. I used to just leave it running overnight in my empire. Yeah. I had this fleet of frigates that was yeah. just running around like lunatics earning billions of credits overnight, um, which is fun in its own right, but it's not elite, mm-hmm. which is why the question came up, and I think it's been, it's, it's been discussed quite a lot, is sort of multiple ship ownership. Um, and that was something that was kind of suggested, and we thought, well, okay, that's fine, as long as they only do one at a time. Um, but then there's, a sort of, there's been a little bit of a push to try and get it so you can actually manage multiple ships, and we don't want to go there. There may be a time in the future where we add that as something that you can do, but it's, it's, it's not core to Elite, so it's not something we're looking at at the moment. You mentioned about the exploration and things like that, but what would happen if yourself or Kate spent six months flying out in the same direction, find something really, really cool, but you're in the middle of nowhere? Do you then have to spend the next six months flying back? Or is it some kind of fourth wall breaking idea that maybe to sort of Get me home quickly. So, I mean, we're, we have a general philosophy at the moment where we, the, it's not so much the completion of an act, there's some way of registering the act as well. Um, so I think with bounties, one of the discussions was that you have to report the bounty before, sorry, before you can actually get the money for it. It's not the money just magically appears. Um, so there is some discussion as to what could be done uh, with explorers in the same way so that maybe you can register a claim. Um, you leave a beacon and that sort of gives you first dibs on it. But if somebody else needs a beacon, you've got a race to get back to register that, that claim. Uh, it's not necessarily how we'll do it, but that's certainly what's being discussed. Not so much on PvP, but being able to hone your combat skills and things like that. Will there be a simulation element of the game where you can draw people, say, look, we want to practice our combat skills, can we draw people into it? At the moment, no. Uh, it is something that has been discussed. Um, but it would detract from our current development, so I would say it's unlikely for the initial release. Um, But yes, there is, there has been some thoughts as to whether there could be uh, a sort of virtual tournaments, that kind of thing, so people can just be silly without ruining their main game. Or you can hyperspace the lave and just ask me for a fight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fine. On top of that, can, could you invite someone to a duel and say, look, we're going to duel, so we're going to wipe out any bounty possibles or any effect that that might have on our... Uh, not under the current system, no, I don't think there's any way of doing that. In the game, obviously, for, for a lot of the original backers who, you know, steeped in the mythology of Elite and played it as a single-player game, um, maybe, I don't know, it might just be me, but this maybe a, a, a worry about what happens when you open it up to a multiplayer universe, particularly when it maybe gets onto other platforms like consoles, how 
you, how the interactions between players um, start to develop and whether that will break the feeling of immersion and the sense of the league being part of a real universe rather than just a sort of game where you know you, you try and take control of it and get as many points as you can and sort of do better than other people. So I think the very sort of nature of how you play elite kind of uh, precludes some of that in the sense that there is the bounty system, there's you know the the pilot federation, um, and it, it's not a twitch game in the sense that you're just racking up a single kill. Um, even playing against the NPCs, it's not going to be that kind of gameplay. Uh, obviously, there's going to be sort of fast-paced dogfighting if you're fly flying in fighters, uh, but flying in the bigger ships is a completely different experience. Um, so, and as for other platforms. At the moment, that's a possibility for the future, but it's not something I'm really worrying about. I think the main thing is we're developing the PC game, um, and it's very much centered around the PC community. I'm, I'm really talking, I mean, I suppose my point is a bit diffuse, but I'm really talking about sort of interactions that players will have. You know, if you've got the ability to have, you know, voice communications, are people going to ruin it to a certain extent by not, you know, sticking to you know, the game as certain certain people might wish to have it, you know, like purely elite Broadway. as they remember it, yeah, you sure. know, chatting about Can I, can I, kind, of, can I kind of touch that one a little bit in that I, I, I can't obviously give you any kind of definitive answer because all I am is nothing more than a lay radio presenter. But I can give you, um, certainly I think there is an element of reassurance that you guys and everybody here should take from the fact there is such an active community that in the most part is of a particular age, because um, and you know let's 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 you know let's 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 be you know let's be honest and realistic about this. Let's not feel you know. I was we're, say, it's so nice um, to see so many young people here. Yeah. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, one of the thing, the things that does happen in um, in evolving communities based around particular spectacles and events is that often people who are um, particularly invested in that community shape the social structures of how it works. And I think here we have an opportunity because we're actually quite passionate about the game that we want to play. Um, and I think that passion has already has been demonstrated in the forums, demonstrated by the fact that people are prepared to come here. Um, that will, you know, don't, don't underestimate the effect you will have on the other people who come in to play that game. I mean, on, on, on Labour Radio, obviously, we're concentrating quite a lot on the fiction and on the social aspects of it, of the original backers. But what I'm concerned about is when it gets onto other platforms, for example, even just when it starts to yeah, come out sure. as a retail box edition, you know, on the shelves in the supermarket, what I'm concerned about is that sort of voice interaction. Is it going to sort of break the, sure. the immersion of the game? You know, and is there any way that Frontier developers can build in a way of punishing people. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said you said gank. <laughs> out, out. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I just wanted to say that yeah, in in other MMOs you have like specific role playing servers and things like that, so that people um, know that at least everyone signed up to that server and has rolled a character on it is signed up to the idea of role play. And so you're not going to get, you know, the spotty kid off the street accidentally stumbling along. We hate that kid. We hate that kid. <laughs> Gets in all our games. But um, I, does does the group system maybe allow for that kind of thing? I think the group system helps. If you're um, wanting to play with specific people, uh, then the group the group system facilitates that. 
Um, if you are playing in an open environment, then I think to a certain extent there may be sort of bad or negative um, occurrences. But again, that's uh, up to the community as a whole and us working as part of that community to try and make sure that, that doesn't happen. And I think the bounty system is an example of that. If you've got somebody who's just going around murdering easy, easy victims, then he will learn a greater and greater bounty. And then you have players who are bounty hunters looking for that person. And if he's going around picking on people, that means he's in the open group and anyone can find him. Which I think is a fantastic design idea. I love, I, I love the fact, and, and don't get me wrong in, in this, um, because I could be that person, you know, as far as, <laughs> as, as, far as I'm concerned in terms of my play. Um, I love the fact that actually the, the transgressors, the murderers, the people who, who are going to do that incessantly have actually been written into a role. Yeah. And I think that's very, very clever because it, it, I, I don't actually think, I think they get a bad press, bless them, just because they kill everyone doesn't mean that they're, they're all, all, all horrible and evil. Um, maybe there's a heart of gold in there somewhere. Maybe they watch Bambi while they're doing it. Um, but the point being, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but the point being is that um, by writing them into a role, you actually create a, an adversary and you, you give them a place. And some of the best, you know, the best interactions I've had with people who have, um, have been when I, you know, they've been the evil character and I've been the person chasing them down. And actually they've made the experience great for me by the fact that they've just played it through and through. And actually I think you've written a, an idea here that could, you know, could really turn and change that concept in terms of what's that. Rufus, sorry. Yeah. So, my name is Rufus, I'm Axel on the forum. My question is actually about groups. I'm over 40, have children. And I want to play with people that are like-minded, and this is fine in this environment. Yes, we're all passionate about the game, but as soon as it goes to retail, it's going to be full of spotty 14-year-old WoW players. And don't get me wrong, I've been a WoW player on and off for years. I've run, I've run guilds, I've done this, I've done that. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to join multiple groups, because I always thought that was the problem with the guild system. You could only be a member of one guild, not multiples. I want to have a system like Google Circles where you can join and be active in multiple groups at the same time so you can connect with various different people you want to play with in a simultaneous universe. I don't want the PvP, I'm not going to touch that whole subject <laughs> because, uh, because I, but that's just the way it is. For me, I want to see, I'm very social, I like to talk to people, you've probably seen that in the bar already. Um, and that's the way I like to play my games, but not, I know other people don't. So that, I want to see, obviously we're passionate, you say, yes, we can shape it. And yes, when I run guilds, I very much shape the players and the way we play games. But we are going to be a tiny minority Hopefully. compared, well, we will be. So, so, gonna... so what we're, we're kind of saying, can, Michael, yeah. can we all have a 50,000 credit bonus start? <laughs> <laughs> so we... I, I don't need a bonus. I'm, 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 still quite a long way up, so I can have any ship I want to I mean, it is interesting what you're saying, because I mean, for this to be a commercial success, we're, we are 30,000 people from the Kickstarter, 30,000 very passionate people. Exactly. Um, when you go, I mean, I don't know what numbers you're running around in your head, hundreds of thousands, half a million, a million copies to be sold worldwide, that's a hell of a lot of players coming exactly. into the universe. Exactly. And more than that. You just, I think you've well, just got to put your faith in the group system and the way that Frontier Developments are designing it. But if you want to play with this room, you can play with this room. That's and that's what I want. But I want to play with this room and my friends as well. Not so, I can only play with. So this that's room. where it gets difficult technically. Yeah. Um, having exclusive groups is a nice and easy thing to manage. When you start trying to do inclusive groups, then you have the problem of who do you miss out. So if I'm in a group 
and you're in another group, and then you're in my group as well, but you're actually on his ignore list. What happens then? So that's that's. So there are ways of actually sort of working around that, and we did look at quite a complex mechanism of actually doing sort of uh, rankings and then slotting people in via rankings. And at the end of the day, it actually still produces an unsatisfactory experience for a lot of effort. Um, so I think having the ability to create your own groups, and you can, and of course you can sort of link those groups offline. Uh, so there's nothing saying that on the forums there's uh, over 40s you know, sign up for, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and you can do it, and then, and then you police it yourself, but then it's also more fun, I think, in that we have the open group, but then you sort of work, I mean, I used to play a, a massively multiplayer RTS called Time of Defiance, and what we did in there is the sort of top 15 players, uh, we formed the United Nations and basically pacified it's supposed to be a war, and we stopped war. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to know that people who break things, you know, well, actually then design them. You know. Right, uh, Ian Phillips. Um, is, um, I think in the last uh, Fiction Diary, you mentioned you read out a piece, and there was a little bit in there of uh, the invention of the instant uh, hyperdrive, so basically explains how you can now instantly jump from one system to the other. My question is that in the previous games, the thyroids and, and the humans, they're basically the same sort of technology. Yeah. It seemed, <laughs> right? And if humans have made this jump so that they, instead of taking weeks to, to move from one place to another, right. and they now do it instantly, how are you going to handle that sort of uh, same thing with the Thargoids. So even in the in the history, the Thargoids actually had superior jump technology to ours. Um, the main difference is now we can do faster, shorter jumps, um, which means we can react faster than we did. Um, as for the Thargoids, well, we've only seen one part of them. And that's all I can say. Yeah, more questions should like that saved, one, please. Should have saved that one for the last question. <laughs> I've not been, my name's Steve Trom, I've not been on any of the, the forums. I've, I've worshipped the game from when it first came out. My questions are, is there going to be a facility, and this might have been covered elsewhere, but is there a facility for multi-screen? So when you're setting up, you're going to have that ability to sadly build yourself a cockpit um, <laughs> and, and see it. And secondly, from um, some of the, the stuff that the guys have been talking about, the written factual materials, are they going to be the manuals, the uh, the maps, you know, the books of history, that kind of thing, as opposed to the novella and the novels? So the idea is, uh, so in the first question about the multi-screen monitor is, yes, uh, we will be supporting multi-screen. Uh, quite how that support works yet isn't determined. That's a technical question that um, there are more intelligent people than me that we're looking after. Um, so on the sort of fiction side of things, the idea is that there are news feeds and bits of information all over the, the galaxy. Um, they will tell you bits about the history. Um, they will also give you hints of new things to discover. Um, they will also tie into the books, depending on if the authors are up for that or not. Um, so if there's a, a particular battle, um, or uh, you know there's been a usurper, uh, death of a dictator maybe, um, then there's something there's memorials that you can visit. Dude, spoilers! Um, yeah. <laughs> it's in the name, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it has already been said. Yeah. So. 
revolution. Eh? <laughs> um, I, I do think, I think, you know, to kind of touch on that a little bit and just to, to add a, a bit to, to what's there, I think actually one of the things that, um, that certainly from my research in the past, having looked at, at world building and world construction in what I do, um, sometimes when you create those sort of broad environments that stories can be told inside, um, often people look at the, the, the amazing story, fall in love with the story, and then want to know everything. And sometimes looking behind that curtain is not as great as you think it is, because it's designed for the show, not for you to see the technician, or the stagehand, or the guy who's working the lights. Now, if, um, if there was a, a sort of a, a, an additional idea of producing some of the history and the timeline and the, the other information that players could then you know, absorb and bring forward and everything else, that would have to be very, very carefully edited and carefully worked out as to what having that information would mean to, you know, to the player base and for it to be out there and in general. And what you kind of don't want to end up with, and John and I talked about this quite early on, I think almost the first episode, didn't we, about the idea of there being a wiki behind the scenes, a game, and then a load of players finding all the information and putting it on a wiki. So essentially the, the game became a transmitter between two dictionaries or two encyclopedias. Um, and I think we kind of, you know, I hope that we kind of want to avoid that, um, uh, that scenario. But anything that sucks people in and makes them go, oh, I want to know more, great. You know, love that. Well, the idea is to provide hooks. Yeah, of course, of course which is exactly that. And some of that's historical, some of that will be contemporary, and some of that will reach into the future as well. But I'm not saying anything more on that either. Uh, two very quick questions. One is, what was David's involvement in the day-to-day -day development process? And secondly, how much of the game is done so far? Where are we today? Oh. <laughs> right, I'll take the easy one first. <laughs> uh, so David's on a um, daily. Uh, we have basically a 9.30 with him every morning uh, where we go over the latest design topic or we look at the latest build or we go over the latest concept art and he basically provides feedback which we then argue, either argue with or enact depending on whether we agree with it or not. Um, but he's, yes, he's very much hands-on and involved in the day-to-day. -day. And on to the second one. Um, just on that, is, just on that, is he quite, is he quite disciplined? Because I've had the experience in the past of working in no. IT, where you start off <laughs> in a position, you start off in a position where you're you're sitting down and coding every day, and then you get to a certain level of seniority in the team, and and instead of kind of sitting down and coding, you have to kind of get other people to code and marshal it. So does does he ever kind of get tempted to just think? I just want to sit down and write a bit of code myself. Uh, not so much on the writing of code, but he does like to get involved in how the implementation has been structured. Okay. So he is, he, he does like to latch onto details. Um, but generally, he sticks with the sort of the, the overall vision. Mm. That's his main thing. I don't want to forget about the second part of that. I can, uh, <laughs> I can give you an easy answer to the second part. Just quote a percentage number. Nobody will know anything. Just say 14.2%. Well, that'll be fine. tell us whether you're on target. Yep, we are on target. That's fine. Hooray. I played it this morning. Oh, we're not going to get more than that. Go on. <laughs> I played it this morning. From Harvest to Elite, where are we? My question was just about the. You were talking about the emerging galaxy. Yep. Um, and players are going to have a role in that. Uh, how much will that impact on the Cold War between the Imperials and the Federation? Um, will there be responsible players be able to influence 
the potential for intergalactic warfare? Uh, yes, although we will want to sort of, uh, the idea is that we have injected events as well, so we could trigger what could be a hotspot, and then it's up to the players to determine whether it turns into a war zone or, you know, if they all um, save the people that need rescuing. Um, I think we've got some ideas for various scenarios where actually it could go either way, and I'm quite interested to see actually what people do. Um, a bit of a social experiment, I think. Just wondering, you mentioned earlier about news feeds and things like that. Are they going to be strictly available in game, or are they going to be available as an API for us to hook into, as might have been seen with least recent late chat? It's something that we are thinking about, but it's not something we'll be doing immediately. So to start off with it, it'll be in game only. Do you know what? I will, I will just jump in here because sometimes you don't necessarily appreciate when these things do actually happen. My wife is currently suffering through the fact that I got my hands on uh, the new Animal Crossing for the DS. Uh, and I, <laughs> I have not put it down for two weeks. And the problem is I have, all, I have these groups on Facebook I've joined of people who are all, you know, they're kind of, going back to the thing about wanting to play with people who are in a kind of similar position to you, um, I joined a group which is all gamers who are all strictly over 20. And um, strictly, so, strictly. <laughs> so we have these. So we have these Facebook groups, and then every now and again, you'll just be going about your ordinary life, and someone will post a message on Facebook saying, "Oh, in my town at the moment, you know, um, sea bass are selling for uh, four hundred bells a fish." And it's like you sort of have to say, you have to say to your wife, I "I've just got to go and play Animal Crossing for a moment. <laughs> I need to go to this town and sell my stock of fish." And it is, you know, you, you're kind of opening up as you're getting sort of, you know, notifications about things going on in Elite. The, this, this instinct to drop what you're doing in your real life and just have to go and play a game at that moment. And it's, uh, it's a brilliant idea, but I think it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's horrible. I can just picture a scenario that I'm cycling off and I get an alert saying, by the way, there is a war going on in Lave. <laughs> there won't be a war going on in Lave. <laughs> <laughs> So just before we wrap up, uh, I think I've given everyone a piece of concept art. If I haven't, then come and speak to me. Very kind. No, no, no. I enjoy it. And can you tell us why was that specific piece of it's concept? It's because it's my favourite piece of concept from the Kickstarter, Silent Station. And nobody chose it. I know. I was, I was very disappointed in the forums that day. I almost hacked the pole and just said that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Michael, you're driving back tonight, aren't you? I am, but not quite yet. I'll be here for a little bit longer. No, I, I think Grant's got a spare bed. Haven't he's, on the next, he's on the next panel as well. So uh... I've seen what happens to people. <laughs> Quick round of well done, guys, please, Michael. Okay, in the first panel, we have got the wonderful Dave Hughes. Elite Universe's best dating agency, writer of Elite Encounters. <laughs> we also have Darren Gray. And Lin Chen, the uh, <laughs> organizer of Elite Chronicles. And finally, because we can't get enough of him, can we have Michael Brooks back to the stage as well from Frontier Development? Now we get to sit next to you. I feel like I've had the big time now. <laughs> <laughs>
So this man causes me more work than anyone else combined. <laughs> I think it's the name David. <laughs> okay, folks, uh, what we're going to ask you to do is just say a little bit about your background, how you came to the uh, Kickstarter, what your name of the book is, and a brief introduction to that. Try and keep it under two minutes. Darren. <laughs> right, so I'm Darren Gray, writer for Tales from the Frontier, the elite anthology of short stories. Uh, I came to the Kickstarter because I saw David Braben tweet about it about uh, a few minutes after it went on uh, and straight away jumped onto that. Uh, started getting involved in the forums then and noticed when the anthology Kickstarter came up and jumped straight on that as well. The, uh, Anthology is a bunch of 15 short stories. My own short story is about a bounty hunter with cerebral palsy. Great stuff. Yay! Mr. Hughes. He's already said my name, so I don't have to do that bit now. <laughs> For the benefit of the recording. <laughs> when did I ever, ever benefit the recording? Um, hi, my name's Dave Hughes. Um, I'm writing Elite Encounters, role-playing in the Elite Universe. Um, it's a slightly different creature. It's not a novel as such. It's a role-playing system with some background information and a system to create your own character and create your own adventures there. Um, I joined the Kickstarter after somebody on the Elite forum told me about it and then instantly pledged and then raised and raised and raised. Sorry, jaunted, jaunted, jaunted. <laughs> Knew I forgot something. I've left oh, them in the end. Oh, you're not leaving this place without handing them over, sir. You know you're not. <laughs> and Michael, I think we know who you are. Uh, yes, I'm Michael Brooks, uh, as well as executive producer on uh, Lee Dangerous. I will be, when I get around to it, writing a novel. I don't have a name for it yet. It's currently in David's hands for his approval. Um, yeah. That's by me. From uh, from your point of view, obviously you haven't started writing your book. You haven't got a name for your book. Um, would you like us just to sort of direct questions about the fiction writing process from Frontier Development's direction at you, or would you like us to say, you know, you're writing the official, official, official book, what's it going to be called and when, when does it get uh, I think we'll stick to the general fiction. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Otherwise it's going to be a very boring, no comment, no comment. <laughs> Not a problem, perfect. Um, my name's Ling Chen, and uh, I organise Elite Chronicles, so I don't write. And someone has asked me, so I just, get this opportunity to promote it. Everyone's welcome to write for it. It's a crowd writing initiative. And we hold the event every two to four weeks. And the most popular writing will be picked and including the book. Um, so people, please come and uh, join the event. Um, I'm a game artist. Um, and I want the league game to be made. And hopefully I can work on it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's my purpose for Kickstarter, obviously. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, well, Yay. Well, we'll get up to the room. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Straight away to me. Michael, how much of your working day would you say is actually dedicated to organising this rap, this group of professional uh, authors? Uh, it's calmed down a little bit recently, uh, but I think that's mainly because there's a backlog in the uh, background fiction approvals at the moment. Um, but I suppose it's probably an hour a day, but most of the time when I'm in at the weekend is spent on fiction work. What did you just say to me, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> that you cause most of my work. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> yeah, I was actually asking Dave Hughes, when you're writing a, a game book of rules, is 
what, are you basing it on other games or are you having to come up with a completely new concept for This is actually a question I got asked quite a lot during the um, Kickstarter. I chose to create a completely new one, um, a completely new original system, I hope. I've not looked at any other books for inspiration, I've not looked at any other systems for inspiration. I could have just used something called Open D6 or Open D20 and just gone with a, just wrote a load of stuff around it. But I felt that really wasn't worth what I was being paid to do it, if you like. I thought that was kind of cheating people. So I did create a, a system or a couple of role-playing systems when I was at university. So I want to do, I want to put as much of myself into it as I can. So I'm doing it completely from scratch. Yes, John. Yeah, so my question is for uh, Lynch, and I just wanted to ask about Chronicles. Uh, what was it that made you think that, um, uh, you know, the Elite Universe uh, would lend itself so well to the kind of crowdsourced writing? Um, I think it's because Elite Universe is really massive and it's quite deep and has a history. So almost everyone, especially hardcore fans, have their own world of Elite. And um, it's a almost all mimic a real universe. There's so many people living there and they have all different societies, cultures. Um, so I think that kind of lead to Chronicles because a lot of people can actually re write their own version and then we can somehow link the story together. Okay. I have a question for Darren actually. I mean, I kind of know the answer, but for those that didn't hear your interview, I think it's really interesting how you came by your, your, your lead protagonist. Can you talk about the role? Because a lot of the Kickstarters actually gave people the right to have an input into the plot. So for those that don't know, uh, part of our Kickstarter campaign for the Tales from the Frontier book involves a pledge tier to have a, a character name. So you can uh, include the name of a character. And uh, when it came to the writing process, I had my idea for a story already. It was about a female bounty hunter, and she had very specific reasons to, be, to want to be elite. Um, and that's the, the core of the plot. Now, when it came to offering up characters for backers to choose, I already had several characters that I thought, these are open characters, these can be renamed. Now, we had one of our backers, and it was a guy who actually backed a whole load of the books um, by quite a high amount, so he's a very serious backer. Uh, he said that he wanted uh, a character after his daughter, who is six years old, and she has cerebral palsy. And she has it quite severely, actually. Um, and he says, you know, it's up to you whether or not you can work this in. And I thought, actually, this is quite interesting from a, a plot development point of view. This works with the main character that I've got, which I previously thought no one's touching that. That's, she's my character. I, I'm going to do what I want with her. But I thought this actually can work with the, the motivations. The whole idea of uh, someone with cerebral palsy with a disability who then, in a spaceship, you know, in combat in space, you don't see that. You just see her as a pilot and her skills. I thought that uh, it works so well with the story I had. Uh, I, I couldn't resist trying to integrate that. So I've been working with him and doing some research on cerebral palsy to try and get something kind of accurate and things. And uh, yeah, it, I'm hoping it'll produce an interesting story. Great stuff. Just wondering, what is the official status of the Dark Wheel as far as canon goes? Because I know you're saying a lot of the stuff has been binned. Some really good question about a book game. We're now actually getting a question about a book game.
So my book is probably more of a spiritual successor than a direct sequel. Um, I think there's details in The Dark Wheel that are no longer relevant, but the story itself I think is still very indicative of the Elite Universe. So, yeah, I mean, it's the first sort of fiction most people have read on the Elite Universe, so I think it's an inspiration for all Elite stories that have come afterwards, really. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask the audience something? I'm just wondering how many people have actually read The Dark Wheel? That's a great number. And how many have read the, the, the stories of life on the frontier and further stories of life on the frontier? So a good few people as well. Okay. No pressure, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I've read them all too. <laughs> okay, anything else in the room? Yeah, I'm interested how the relationship between Michael and Lynn is developing, given, as an author, knowing how uh, specific you've been in terms of sticking to the storylines and, and the content. It must be quite a handful, this crowdsourced story. So I think I will gen probably get more involved at the editing stage when they start tying the, the threads together. Um, but yes, it could get quite brutal. Yeah. <laughs> are you mindful of that, Lynn? I mean, how are you managing people's expectations about whether or not their content will be approved ultimately? Um, I think at the moment, uh, when we kind of pick the author's work, we do email them individually. Well, at the moment, we only had one chapter, Neil, the first one, which the next event is going to be in three weeks' time. Um, so I warn him that. Um, it could, lots of his work could be chopped out. It could be heavily edited. Um, yeah, so there's always some kind of rules that um, has to be stick to. But however, you know, people who join the event could win lots of rewards. <laughs> like we pass out all the rewards to people. So uh, name of star systems, commander's name, whatever. So there's a price there as well. I think it's a great idea. I've spoken to at least one person tonight who missed the boat on the anthology writing. Yeah. Uh, what would happen if a author who had pledged to write a story for the anthology didn't come through with it? Would you just drop the number of stories in there, or would you seek a replacement story? Yeah, yeah, that's precisely. Dan, as the only member of the anthology team on the panel, yes, I think you should probably answer that question. So, uh, I mean, we're all very organised. Um, we did have. I don't know quite what happened. We did have someone drop out and then someone else <laughs> take up their pledge, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, we got 14 synopsis out of 15 stories approved already. Uh, we're all keeping on top of each other. Um, we're actually very well organized as a group, trying to make sure that we all stick on track, stick on target. So it's not a worry for us. Uh, if someone ends up being late in the end, then I, I guess, all right, we'll have to published the book with 14, 13 stories, but uh, uh, I think it's probably less of a risk than some of the longer novels where, you know, we each only have to do a short story. That's not a big deal. Um, well, hopefully not. Is there any uh, sort of timeline of when these novels are coming out? As in the novel's been released or the yeah. timeline of the fiction? Um, so at the moment I think everyone's sort of generally aiming for <laughs> the game release in March. Um, I'm not aware of anyone uh, specifically targeting a different date at the moment. So they're all coming out at one time? Uh, pretty much, but what we'll do is we've already said that we're going to help with marketing and sort of pushing the book out. Can't you get them out ahead of this? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ooh.
surely, I mean, I know this is a fairness issue, but, you know, we're all craving a bit of fiction. We've got nothing else to go with. That's... Yeah, if, if, if any of the authors were ready, then they could take us back. Can I just add that you can come to our website? <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, lots of old stories that are available to read, and there are new stories as well. They sound dangerous, but they are not edited yet. Or officially approved. Um, yeah, that's true as well. Um. Okay, just to pick up on that, Mike, you said that um, obviously Frontier are going to throw their weight behind the marketing aspect of this. Can you give us some insight as to what the company are planning to do with the authors in terms of helping them put their work forward? No, because I haven't put the plans together yet. Excellent. <laughs> it's on my to-do list. I think that's partly the same question I had. How are the books going to be published and produced? Are they going to be PDFs? Are they going to be bound, so etc.? That's down to each of the individual authors, how they're distributing and releasing, releasing their work. Um, what we'll provide is obviously we approve the stories, um, although they will have presumably been through various editors and proofreading and stuff, so hopefully that makes my job nice and easy. <laughs> just say that. <laughs> um, where our support really is beyond the approval stages, we'll sort of help spread the word about it and obviously encourage elite fans to come and take a look. Can I just say, like, for the anthology, we we got enough for a uh, to do a printed run, and I know a number of the other books have also, as Stretch Goes, got on printed run. Someone did have the idea of what if we all coordinate our book covers so that the sleeve of it, when you stack them all up on a shelf, oh. forms a Cobra Mark III. Uh, that's something we're going to get in touch with other authors with, try and coordinate something like that if we can. I don't know how easy it'll be, but that'll be quite cool to do. <laughs> I'll screw you up on that. I think my wife's going to twice the size. Yeah, yes. Someone has a smiley face. Just to follow on that point about books, because obviously the way the um, the way I perceive that the um, the writers packs has very much sort of been from the point of view of you know you because you guys have you know sort of said about supporting the authors and giving them publicity, but just thinking about um, some of the other kind of game novelizations that are around. I mean, I was reading this week, Ubisoft was saying something like even if the game Assassin's Creed Four bombs, the book of Assassin's Creed Four will still be one of the biggest bestsellers for the year and, and is there is there almost kind of a um, an, an opportunity following off the point about bringing out a book early um, to kind of have some novels come out early in order to generate marketing for elite that's certainly that? a possibility if any of the authors felt they were at a stage where they were ready to go and you know was it was before we were releasing the game then yeah i don't see why that couldn't happen he says, not having discussed really? it with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I do apologise once I start going. Come um, unfortunately, I was only able to back the RPG because I'm from part of an avid gaming group, which we three or four times a year. I'm really excited about the RPG, but how is it going to be different between a mishmash of Star Frontiers and, say, Traveller? Have you, or is it going to be sort of positioned in that direction? And you um, also give a little bit of background about what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first one he mentioned I've never heard of. So it's not going to be a mishmash between that and anything else, because I've not heard of it. So. Um, Traveller is, of course, one of the, if not the first, sci-fi role-playing game. 
um, and indeed was an inspiration for part of original Elite, if I remember uh, my interviews I correctly. I believe Ian Bell was a big fan of Cobra. Do I mention his name here? Man. <laughs> <laughs> it has been mentioned. It has been mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's where was it? Yeah. Uh, so as far as I'm wanting to do it, I'm not basing it, as I said, on any systems. I'm not looking at inspiration from any role-playing games that I've played or that I've seen or that I've even heard of. Um, how I could inspire inspire from something I've only heard of, I don't know. But there you go. <laughs> I'm not actively I'm not actively looking at copying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm not actively pursuing any sort of specific agenda for it. I'm just making it as I go along. Um, playing it much the same way as David Braben wants to make something he wants to play. I want yeah. to make a game that I would enjoy playing that would be quick, using the experience that I've had in doing role playing games over the last twenty, thirty years. And as a GM, say, a games master, for those who don't know, who run the game for all their group of players, how, <laughs> how easy is it? Are there going to be some basic adventure uh, seeds and things like that? Or is it really purely from the games master's um, direction and how he wants to take it? I mean, we can start with, say, the, the revolution of Blade or something else, you know, <laughs> depending on what happens. Um, yeah, as I said in the Kickstarter, I'm going to include three, at least three sample adventures. Uh, starter adventures basically um, that will bring a group together and at least show the, it will show the game and the players how to bring a group together and start them playing in a same way um, I was always very conscious that things like AD&D, the stereotype is everyone meets in a pub <laughs> um, so I'm going to try and avoid that as much as I can and try and show some inventive ways of getting people together Zero G bar Everyone floated in a pub. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to catch gobs of beer as they float through. Uh, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to the game. But for me, I think the difficulty is the transitory from single player of elite to playing with a group of people. And that's actually what I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work and incorporating that in my group of players. This is where a lot of the stuff on the DDF that's been happening recently has been quite useful. And as far as planning how to put together a, a background and an environment and a, a scenario, I suppose, because there's going to be sort of the one concept that goes through the whole book essentially, which is going to try and bring it together as a team game. But you all play together, but you all, you're all trying to work towards the same goal. But you're trying to stay as individuals as well, and that's been the difficult part to actually try and write is trying to get it all together. So. I think you have an advantage as well in that you're not in in the game. There's things that you can't do for development reasons they're just not ready yet or won't be ready yet where in the role playing game you're sort of much more open into you know for example you can multi-crew warships yeah. so you could have a team on a corvette or whatever flying together in my game if you want to land on a planet land on a planet <laughs> <laughs> I've got a quick question uh, for which I'm quite interested in the answer myself as writers how are you dealing with the pressure of responding to a enthusiastic but very demanding family <laughs> 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 I give out free pictures. <laughs> For us uh, on the anthology, actually, we've been quite desperate to try and get more of our backers to pipe up. We've got several people that are back to name characters that just haven't shown up and won't respond to emails and things. That's actually been quite uh, tricky. So we'd like more engagement. <laughs> I've been quite lucky so far. The, the people that have backed my Kickstarter have been very helpful and very vocal about. Similar to what Rufus just said, they're looking forward to playing it. 
they're not really giving me a lot of things like when are you going to do this what's this going to be like where's this going to happen so it's, it's been fairly pressure free and I think the most pressure I've really got is from Michael and that's not very much <laughs> I'm giving him far more as he's given me <laughs> I think I get more hassle about the game than the books to be honest <laughs> <laughs> um, quick question from me to Michael is this it as far as the, the fan fiction fit? oh sorry Ooh. Ooh. As the official fiction goes, uh, or is there any plans that you guys thought about opening it up maybe after the first launch or what's next for? We shall see. Um, at the moment we just want to make sure that we get this sort of first round uh, done and everyone happy with it. Uh, and then we'll see what comes after that. So, so it's not no, for, there's no plans at the moment, but okay. uh, I know a few authors are interested in possibly taking it forward. Final question. <laughs> <laughs> Final um, so basically, when you joined the writers' pack, you had the you had a license to write one story or multiple stories. You have a license to write one story, uh, which we sort of liberally declared to be one book, so that the anthology could get made. And we bent the rules a bit for Dave as well. Round of Right, same sort of thing guys, if you would mind just a brief introduction about yourself, what your project is going to be, um, and how you got involved in the Kickstarter. Starting with the lovely. I'm Kate Russell, I am mostly harmless, um, and um, yeah, I got involved with the Kickstarter um, under coercion um, around Christmas time, when I, uh, I'd kind of been vaguely following the Kickstarter and was involved, those of you who, who, who were following me at the time, I was involved in finishing off a business book that I was writing. And um, I'd just come out the end of a tunnel of work that was just unbelievable and um, saw the Kickstarter. It was kind of like, you know, needed a little bit of a boost. So I interviewed David Braben, placed it a couple of places and then got involved with a comments thread which was the most crazy, brilliant, <laughs> awesome, fantastic, mind-blowingly annoying place ever. Um, how Kickstarter survived this long with such an appalling architecture for their comment system. But um, yeah, and, and, and people said to me, well, you should, you should buy a license, you should buy a license for, because they, they knew that I like writing fiction. And I was just so busy, it was just like, so I can't even think about it. Um, but then it was like, oh, do you know what, it's such a great opportunity and I haven't got an idea and it's just uh, a bit crazy, but I will, I will bank on the fact that people may back me for the Kickstarter and I will put my pledge in, put my money in and see where it goes. And I think because I then cleverly sort of had my Kickstarter finishing in February when people's pay packets were replenished. <laughs> um, I got funded in four and a half hours, which was just like, yeah. <laughs> ridiculously um, exciting ride. And yeah, we stretched gold up to £17,000 to do an audio book, which <laughs> is just, and, and I am actually hoping, I'm planning to bring my uh, ebook out at Christmas. That's the, that is the goal, so that I can then bring the audiobook out in, uh, in time for the game launch, because that's going to take a couple of months. So uh, the unabridged is six and a half hours of audiobook uh, read by me with a cameo with David Raven. So that is the unofficial kind of schedule, so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to do that. And I'm kind of on target at the moment, but um, yeah. Great stuff. Really. Okay, hi, I'm Ramon Maritz. I, um, the Kickstarter, I think it was about... 
midnight and I thought I'm just gonna go to bed but I'll just have one quick look on the uh, forums again just to write I'm sure Elite Four is coming out guys don't give up hope and there was a message I think was it David Welsh said Welsh said uh, uh, well, keep an eye on this, guys. We've got a big announcement soon. Well, I won't go to bed now, then. I'll just uh, <laughs> stay up, wait for this to go out. But, um, yeah, so I was uh, really excited about that. Um, my background is in advertising, so I'm used to writing 30-second kind of pieces of work. Um, so I thought the short story anthology sort of suited me a little bit better than uh, trying to write a huge epic. Um, so yeah, that uh, pretty much sums me up. Thanks. Want to tell us a little bit about that story? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a guy who's been stuck on his escape pod for about five years. I don't think it's going to be happening in game, but it's allowed for the story. Um, so I'm going to need suggestions for what he does with his when he needs to go to the toilet. I'm not sure, I haven't worked out where that goes yet for the next five years. Um, so, yeah, rather than asking questions, you can give me uh, some ideas. You can give me your script, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks guys. Uh, I was Drew Weger, um, uh, my project Elite Reclamation. I got involved with the Kickstarter, I think on day two, um, I wasn't on the Frontier forums at the time, but um, I did hear about it through the BBC. I remember just seeing the logo appear on my phone when I was on the train thinking, oh, I haven't seen that for a few years. Um, and uh, clicked on the link when I got to work and you know, discovered it was a Kickstarter. What's a Kickstarter? I had to kind of research that. I hadn't come across that concept either. Um, and, um, you know, Elite was back. This was fantastic. Elite 4, Elite Dangerous. Um, slightly curious name, I thought, at the time, but, it, you know, it, uh, it, it's back. This was really, really exciting. So that was, that was fun to see. Um, the other thing that I, uh, uh, as some of you have done, uh, will be aware, I've written some fan fiction in the past for one of the unofficial fanfic versions of Elite, um, which uh, probably needs no mention here. I'm sure some of you are aware of it. Um, those seem to be received reasonably well. Um, I pinged off an email as the Kickstarter um, fired off saying any chance that uh, some of us fanfic authors could write uh, a book in the Elite Universe, um, to which I received no response at all. Um, and then a few days later the writer's pack appeared, so I don't know whether there was some connection there or not, but uh, I looked at that and my initial reaction was, four and a half grand? Bloody <laughs> 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 hell, game over commander. Um, <laughs> and then um, on, on, the, uh, on the Elite forums, uh, one of our chaps came up with the absolutely daft suggestion of why don't you start a Kickstarter to fund the Kickstarter? Um, and the rest is history, really. So uh, the, um, that, that, is, that is baked. I've, I'm writing an official book, for, for obviously, for Elite, which is very much, for me, a dream come true, having been inspired by the Dark Wheel to start writing back in 1984, that the first thing I ever wrote... Um, as a 14-year-old kid, I, I've still got it. It's terrible. You will never see that. Um, it's sort of teenage angst of, of the very worst type. Um, but I've kept it just because one day it'll be dug up in some kind of archaeological dig and they'll go, oh, look, it's an original Wager. Um, <laughs> so, you never know, maybe. But, um, so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm on this roller coaster ride of um, you know, being in... You know, Elite is a, was a massive influence on me as a kid. 
Um, it still is now. You know, I'm meeting some wonderful people, frankly. I mean, it's fantastic to meet all of you this evening. Um, the number of people I've met in the last six months has been astrom uh, you know, literally astronomical. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's just fantastic to be part of this amazing, this amazing thing, this amazing community. It's, it really is amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to... Uh, getting crack on my project. Um, I think most of you are probably aware of it. Um, it's it's a it's a proper space opera epic. Um, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a rollicking space adventure of the type. I hope you'll really want to get stuck into. It's gritty. It's it's thick and it's heavy. It's got lots of subplots. It it can mostly concerns the Imperials uh, rather than the the Alliance and the Federation. It's mostly set um, around those kind of guys. Um, as an original Elite fan, I've had to spend a lot of time getting to grips with the sequel games, um, which I've recently posted a slightly controversial blog about, but there we go. Um, um, and I, and I've, I've had to do all that research. So what I'm, what I'm hoping to provide all the fans out there with is a rollicking Elite-themed uh, space adventure, uh, which will pay homage to the original game, the sequels, and obviously when we get to see it as, a, um, as an Alfred Beta release and the, and, the, and the final game, a real... Um, homage to Elite Dangerous as well. So fingers crossed. Can't wait to to get in. It, so far, it's going really well. You do everything there, but tell us about the plot. The plot, and I'm not going to tell you about the plot. Um, the only person who knows, actually, the only person in this room who knows about the plot is sitting over there, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brooks. Um, he's approved it. <laughs> actually, actually, that's not strictly true, Drew. Is it? No, no, it isn't strictly true. No, apologies. that isn't strictly true. <laughs> Um, no, that's uh, um, all. I, all I will tell you is it is um, uh, it is about the Imperials. Um, it is um, very much a story of you know. It's in the title, reclaiming. It's all about that kind of um, you know. We we waited ten years between the first game and the second game, and we've waited twenty years from those games to Elite Dangerous. It's all about that kind of passage of time. So um, there's a personal journey, all sorts of stuff in there. And I'm not going to be any more specific than that. That's fine, too. <laughs> Hi. Everybody knows who I am, I think. <laughs> I'm Alan Stroud, and I'm writing Elite Labour Revolution. Um, getting involved with the Kickstarter. I found the Kickstarter fairly early. I didn't find it as early as you guys. Um, I, I actually I was browsing to find something for a, as an example for a lecture. And um, I, I, I lecture in, uh, in writing for... Um, for a living and also uh, for film and television production. We actually have, we have a module on um, the film and television production course which is about um, sort of new ways of using media and new ways of, uh, of doing innovative things with films and, and crowdsource funding and, and establishing audiences. So I was actually looking for an example of something to show my students of something of, of how something could be successful. And I found the Elite Kickstarter and noticed that the initially the amount of money pledged to it had been jumping massively in the early days. And so I actually, I, I took that to a lesson, chucked it up on the, uh, the projector screen and went, look, see, if you've got something that people already are interested in, look, look where the funding comes from. See, this is a really good idea. And, uh, and showed all the students. And of course, they'd never heard of Elite because all of them were, were quite young. So um, they didn't really know anything about it. But they, yeah, they took the example on board. And I took it home, looked at it and thought, well, actually, I love that game. Played that loads. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that. It's really busy around work at the moment, so I'll, I'll kind of leave it for a bit and left it for a few weeks and then got a bit later and I saw that it was 
kind of not going to get there. And I thought, oh, this is a problem. And then, of course, we broke up uh, for Christmas and um, I, I looked at it again and saw the writer's pack and went, oh, I'd love to do that. How many books am I writing next year? Well, I'm just putting out two now uh, and I've got scheduled another four because I've got three that I'm editing and one that I'm going to do. I don't know if I could do it anyway, but oh, that's really, oh, okay. So then it got to midnight of, uh, or just before midnight of the uh, the end of the Kickstarter. I think it was about 10.30 at night. And my partner Karen had gone to a, a works drinks do, and she was, she'd had a bottle and a half of wine. She was down in London, and I was at home with the cats <laughs> and looking at the Kickstarter and the comments. And I had to ring her and say, I'm about to spend four and a half thousand pounds of our money on a writer's pack. Please talk me out of this. <laughs> and so she said, you can't. And oh, okay then, all right, fine. So I, I, I let myself be talked out. And at that point, I also, I think, sort of around that time, I emailed Kate and I emailed uh, Boz um, and offered, because of my experience of, of actually teaching writing for the last nine or 10 years, I said, look, I want to be involved. I kind of, I, I'm really sort of interested in this. I think I've kind of missed the boat with a few things. Do you want some help? So Kate emailed back and said, yeah, yeah, all right. You know, I'll, I'll let you. She doesn't know me. So she said, well, no, actually, right. it was more like, yeah, 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 yeah. Please, please, please. I have no idea what actually, I mean. Why didn't you email me? I, I, I didn't even know you had a book. I didn't even see All I saw was Kate's and I saw Boz's. So, and actually, you, you weren't the most. Boz was more enthusiastic. Boz was, oh, my God, please, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. So, um, so yes, that was, that was interesting. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, so I, I, I kind of looked at a sample or two of, of bits and pieces and red penned a couple of things and sent them back. And I just put two books out that Christmas, put the first two Wissamere books out, and they were, because um, the first one went out as, as a free promo, they were actually going really well. Loads of people were coming back to me and saying, you know, you should have done this years ago. This is fantastic. You know, we really like this. And I thought, well, I've spoken to Kate, I've spoken to Boz. I should really contact Frontier you know, because actually there's a few things I do, and I've got a research master's in, in making worlds, because that was the title of the research master's. I really should contact them and sort of at least, you know, if I do contact them, then at least I've tried. To start with, just like Drew, sent an email through the Kickstarter to, to David Braben. Yeah, no response. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> so, so then I, I just, just after the end of the Kickstarter, I then PM'd Michael on... Uh, Frontier Forums, who went, yeah, all right. Which was kind of a bit, oh, wow, oh, okay, you'd, you'd actually like some help. Okay, well, fine. Yeah, yeah, we would. Okay, well, what would you like? Well, what, what are you thinking is the right way to go about this? Oh, okay, right. So at that point, I started sort of talking with Michael about some of the, uh, the background and the, uh, the other bits and pieces. And I think from the start of January when the Kickstarter finished till about now, everything's been a blur. <laughs> I have not stopped at all. And I think some of these guys actually know how much stuff, because they see some of the things that have now been authorised and put into the writers' forum. What they don't know is actually how much more stuff Michael has sat on his desk that, unfortunately, Dave Hughes and I have basically submitting on this, this, and this, and even this. Um, which, you know, obviously might, uh, might sort of surface as, uh, as things move on. It's been an incredible ride. Now, as part of that, one of the things I was very, very lucky to be a part of was some of the initial discussions in relation to the premise for the new game. 
and I got shown a map, if you remember rightly, Michael. And that map had certain <coughs> dots in certain places. And I went, hmm, hang on, what's happened to Lave? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so you, you'd like these dots to be, or this area to be a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're planning. Okay, well, you know, um, and I started at this point rescheduling my books and thinking maybe I could get some room in here to actually to write something. Well, what about, wouldn't there be a story around that changing? Yeah, I think there probably would. Can I write that story, please? <laughs> I'll do a Kickstarter and I'll do it through the... Yeah, well, you know, you've, you've done a lot of work, so I think, yeah, yeah possibly we could, we could probably allow something to, to happen with that. Okay, then. And so I was off like a train. And uh, I set, uh, set up the, uh, the stuff for the Kickstarter, and it went tremendously well. And thankfully, we were already working out to do the podcast as well, so we tied everything together. You will notice the seamless transition between Lave Revolution, Lave Radio, Lave Everything, Lave, Lave, Lave. Um, this was not unintentional. Um, and yeah, and essentially, uh, I got to the end of that with... Basically looking through, and you know, a little bit of a panic thinking, okay, well what actually, what talents do I have? What things can I offer? And so in the end, I ended up with a book. I've got a load of music. I've got an audio that uh, I'm gonna do as well. And there's a film. Who knew? Crazy. So yeah, which is where I am. Um, now, if you want to ask about Lave uh, Revolution in terms of the plot, in some of you that know Frontier and know the Frontier Gazetteer know that uh, there was a dictator and um, there was a dictator in, in Elite previously um, by the name of Dr. Walden. Well, Labe's now a democracy and dear old Dr. Walden is gone. How did that happen? You'll have to read the book to find out. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks very much, guys. <laughs> As Alan's sitting there, it might be quite wise to uh, make him squirm a bit. To the rest of the writers, how useful is the background information that you get uh, fed through the writers forum and the stuff from Frontier? I mean, how in-depth is it? How, um, yeah, is it providing a canvas for you to write your work on? Any of you guys, not him. There, there was, a, to begin with, early days, it was like a ghost town in the writers' forum, like the first couple of weeks. And then suddenly there was like an explosion of information that was way too much to take on board. And now it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of got a pace that's manageable at the moment. I'll be perfectly honest with you, that explosion, early few sort of like weeks, months, I relied on Lave Radio <laughs> for a lot of my catch-up because it was just a, a condensed... I could listen to it while I was walking to the train station. <laughs> so you guys, props to you because uh, you kept me up to date. And now the, the, the writers' forum has settled down. It's manageable, right? It's, it's, it's quite easy to stay on top of things. And the information coming out, it, I have to say... Michael, you are an absolute god because you. There is another explosion to come. <laughs> no, I'm sure, but your attention to detail and the, you know the whole thing. It, I think we've had this conversation that it gives you so much confidence that we're creating something which is going to be true to the game because you're so anal about everything. <laughs> and for that, I thank you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I definitely, definitely yeah. second that. The, the, um, you know. We're, we're privy to information about the, the factions, you know, what it is to be an Imperial, what it is to be a member of the Federation, what it is to be a member of the Alliance, and how they are distinct from each other. And down to um, you know, the political structure at, at quite a detailed level for each of those organisations and how they're different. Now, in my case, for the Imperials, 
Um, that was that was absolutely fundamental for my book because I actually had to refactor the 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 structure of the the powers. You know, the, you know, if if X person is reporting to this person, who is therefore reporting to this person, what responsibilities those different levels and those strata in society actually have to each other? Well, that was defined for us, um, and you know, Alan will know this. We, when you're writing a book with no you know, you know, literally based on a blank piece of paper, you can kind of make all that stuff up. And to get to that level of detail takes you a long, long time. And you, you want to make it compelling. You want to make it make sense. You want to make it logical. Um, you know, the last thing you really want to do is go off writing and then go, oh, shit, I'm in, a, you know, I'm, I'm in a really bad... I've painted myself into a corner here because I've written something in Chapter 2 which I can't get out of now. That won't happen with the books, um, you know, in the Elite Universe because... Um, we already know you, you can't do that because this is the way the Empire is structured, this is the way the Federation is structured, this is the way the Alliance is structured. We've also got um, the, the most valuable thing for me, and I know it's, it's incorporated a lot of the fan content as well, which is fabulous, is a timeline right from today, pretty much, all the way up to the year 3300 AD with a whole stack load of detail in between, which unfortunately we can't tell you what it is. Um, and there's, there we go. So, um, and that's the, that is the only difficulty about this. It does keep changing sometimes, which is a bit annoying. But, um, yeah, but you know, these things have to, have to be decided and worked out. So we, we've got a very, um, you know, very solid skeleton, if you like, to base our fiction on and hang that off. So we don't have to worry about, well, what, you know, why, why does, why, what's going on over here and, and, and this sort of structure? Because it's, it's written down. We've got... That's the Imperial Society. That's the Federation Society. These are the type of ships that are going to be around. These are the capabilities of the ships. There isn't any anti-gravity in the universe. Which has been really hard. <laughs> um, yeah, we have that sort of stuff. It has been decided by Frontier, which gives us the ability to, okay, well, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Off we go and write our books as a result. So it, 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 yeah, it's, it, that is really, really handy. It's really, really good. Yeah, just to... Um sum up that as well my story is set in deep space on one little escape pod with one person but because of the information that we have got i am still able to give that person a quite deep backstory you know which does make the characters more real when you're writing them which you can use then you know to progress the story on further you know, it might not necessarily all fit in the story but i can um, i know what this character is like purely based on you know all the information which i can fit in the backstory which will you know obviously be um I think I'm only going to I'm only going to say something short about this, Foz. Um, Hold on, let me sit down. Okay. Um, the privilege I've had, and and you know, a few other people, not just me, uh, have had, is that we're able to concept write essentially in the same way that a sketch artist produces uh, a drawing, and then Frontier make a decision about whether that ship or that idea or that that scene is going to be included. I basically just taken as much information as I can from all of the previously published material and just written in a direction and then that's then allowed Frontier to go yeah we're going to use that or no we're not going to use that but we're going to do this instead so essentially allowing someone to be a stalking horse gives them a chance to then effectively decide and, and I think mostly the process has been um, if we don't like it we have to come up with something better or different and I think that's important because once you start working that way, you're always adding. You're always creating something positive. Um, you're never just sniping and tearing it to pieces, which actually is the most destructive thing that you can do for a creative process anyway. If there's reasons for it to, to not be used, 
then you know that's important to, to get those reasons out. But usually, I, I certainly work from the idea of, um, and I, I do this with students, okay, think of a world, right, it's blue. Um, uh, think of what, what creatures are on it, they're green. Okay, little tiny green aliens, right, until you come up with something better, that's your world, that's your planet, that's what's gonna be in your story, done. Okay, questions from the room? Um, so you've all come from very different sort of creative backgrounds. I'm just curious, how does this compare to what you've done previously? So I'm very fair in particular? Or? No, well, because I think they'll all be four different very interesting answers. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, I, you know, working advertising, it's, it's not really that different, I suppose. You've got to come up with a, with a story. Um, it's, it's just creative. It's just another way of, of getting a story down. You know, I've got an artistic background, so it's, it's normally like I do something in a, in a picture. Um, it's just getting down to actually writing it is the problem. I mean, <laughs> if I had a note typewriter, there would have been lots and lots and lots of bits of paper on the floor, um, which is the same as drawing a picture or, or trying to come up with a commercial idea. You know, it's, for me, the, the process is very similar, which is why I actually jumped to the chance to do it. Been a writer for like nearly twenty years in a in a sort of like a business technical reporter kind of sense, and I've the one thing I've always wanted to do my whole entire life is write a piece of fiction, and I have been turned down by a million publishers, <laughs> and to have the opportunity to actually just have eight hundred eleven people who most of whom didn't actually know me for my TV work, you know, most of them just were fans of the book, uh, of the game, and, and decided to back me on the strength of what was going on on the forums and the chat that was going on there. It's just a mind-blowingly humbling opportunity, and I can't wait, and I really, really hope that people enjoy it. Because <laughs> then I get to write another one. But no, it's just, it's just a huge opportunity, and I can't even, I can't, yeah. Um, for me, um, Elite Reclamation will be the third novel I've published. Um, I'm, I'm perhaps a little bit different to some of the others. I've, I've actually got a publisher. Um, but I do have, I think, 28 rejection slips. <laughs> so you, you've got to keep trying. It's, it's, that, it's, a, it's a game of numbers, I'm afraid. Um, for me, um, the, the challenge I actually face, although I've written some sort of fan fiction in, in an Elite-like universe, um, I did that mostly for fun and for a very select kind of audience. Um, and I didn't have to obey anybody's rules um, at all. I just kind of could interpret it the way I wanted to interpret it. Now that's slightly different with Elite Reclamation. I've got to, I've got to follow the guidelines. Um, but that, to me, isn't the biggest challenge I'm actually having with, with writing this story. That the, my natural home when writing is actually contemporary fiction. That the novel I published um, um, back in 2011, the first one I got published, is actually a, a romance drama set in pretty much now. Uh, it's not set in space, it's not set in, um, you know, in, in the far distant future, it's set in the, in, in the here and now. Um, and it, it, it concerns, you know, the interactions between, between people. The, the biggest um, and best piece of advice I was ever given as a writer was just to ensure you have a lot of conflict in your story. And I don't mean guns and people being killed with axes and stuff. I mean, people arguing, people having different points of view, people um, you know, planning and, uh, and, and having machinations against each other and trying to outdo each other and having that complicated plot. Uh, that's what happened in my early book. 
uh, back in 2011. That's what's also going to happen in the LEAP reclamation. You could, I think, strip the spaceships out of my book without vast amounts of effort and energy, and you'd have a you, know, you could put it into a Western, or you could put it into um, you know, a New York City skyscraper kind of environment. It, it would still kind of work. You'd still have the same kind of games being played between people, and that's, that's really my core of writing. So what I'm trying to make sure I do is infuse it with enough, in quotes, eliteness to make <laughs> sure it kind of, kind of sticks um, and, and makes sense in that universe. But it's really about people, my story, more than it is about the technology. Um, you got a quick answer to that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, no pressure for me. Um, it's fairly similar in things that I've done before in that um, yeah, I've written in world structures in that regard, but obviously there is an external pressure, as uh, the others have already said. Um, my book's actually quite science fiction, and, and I've not written a lot of science fiction for a, a, an amount of time because fantasy is my, my sort of main area. And the, the contrasting difference is one is sort of a little bit more mysterious and one is a bit more grounded. Um, so I think that's probably been the difference and I would say mine is very science fiction, to be perfectly honest. My influences, I would say at this moment, are Asimov and um, James Kahn, if anyone read the novelization of Return of the Jedi, um, which I think is an excellent book and well worth reading. Um, so yeah. Yes, sir. Um, I haven't read any any science fiction at all for a few years. The last time I tried to read anything, I think it was Ian M. Frank, is that his name? I think he's dead now. Um, do we think that people outside the elite sort of fan base are going to be reading this elite fiction? Will it take off in its own right um, or not, do we think? hope so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Um, um, what are the... Uh, so the main publishing houses in the, in the country purchase some of these writers' packs as well. So the lads have got some of their authors working on stories as well. So, so, so even if people have got no sense of what elite is, they might still pick up the novel and start a novel and start reading it. I think so. And I think as well, it's important that, that we write um, in a way that is accessible. I think Drew's already touched on that quite, quite directly, that you know, human experience is something. And science fiction's often used a lot as a as a, almost an allegory and a, a, a sort of social commentary example so that you can effectively take something that you want to say about society place it in a society in the future and still say the same message because it's a it's a, a comment about the human condition and i think actually that's something that's that's eternal and if you if you infuse your work with enough of uh, of those kind of common themes i think actually that that works very well um, Firefly is a great example. You know, Firefly is a, fa a fantastic example of how you create something that everybody wants to watch. I, even though it's I didn't like that. I mean, I watched. <laughs> 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 okay. Please. Yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> um, if I, I, mean, I yeah. was going to quickly pick up on that. Um, <laughs> those of you that follow the radio show know that uh, both my brother and my mum are big fans of Elite but they will never ever play the game, they will never ever pick it up. And it's literally, they listened to the first episode of the radio show um, just because they wanted to say, yeah, okay, you sound like an idiot. Um, but because of the passion, because of the spirit that the community has, and because of the story that we've uh, produced in making this game, um, they've actually, you know, they've latched onto it and they've listened and they will be buying every single piece of fiction uh, that comes out. And I think from talking to them, depending on how we market this, if we can, manage the bottom and sell this community spirit and the passion that people have for it, then yeah, I do think it's going to go successfully out to a wider audience other than the gaming market. 
And if I can, if I can jump in in, a, in, my, in my massively, massively unofficial capacity, um, I've had, I've obviously spoken to people about uh, escape velocity, and because of, you know, I've marketed it among friends and you know, kind of put the word out as much as I can. And there've been people. I kind of want to turn around. I'm aware the microphone's there. So um, you two are on the panel or something. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there have been people that have listened to it and they've kind of come back to me with questions and they've said, so this, this radio thing's based on a game, and I sort of said, yeah. I'm like, that sounds really good, can I play this game? <laughs> so there is, there is an opportunity, sort of among, among science fiction readers and science fiction fans, if you've got something that tells engaging stories, and it is, not that I'm necessarily, necessarily saying that every piece of fiction has to completely ape gameplay, but if you can give a flavour of what the experience of playing the game is like, through the fiction, there is an opportunity there to grow, grow the audience for a lead. I mean, I mean, even including one of the actors that I use for EV, you know, he's a he's a big he's a big WoW player, and he's like, this game sounds really good. He says, since since doing your recording, I went on the forums and had a look. It sounds really like a player. And there is, you know, there is. This is what I was saying before about you know bringing the book out early. You've almost got an opportunity to kind of sell the idea of a lead through the fiction in a way that perhaps just bringing it out as a game. The media are very going to pick up on this as well because it's a really unique thing uh, around the the game and the launch. You know, I was at an event just the other week and I mentioned that I was writing a piece of sci-fi and one of the editors from Forbes was like, oh yeah, this is a really incredible story. We spoke to the people from Galantz and when's it all happening? And, you know, that's somebody who's fairly high up the sort of like the media sort of food chain is we're completely on their radar. So I think that there's going to be a lot of reciprocal uh, publicity and promotion around everything that's happening around the launch. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. I mean, my publisher, when they made the connection between writing a sci-fi novel and then being in the elite universe mm. and officially licensed, was like, quick, sign this contract. <laughs> uh, I think... I think. Was, you know, there, there, there's definitely, there's definitely a, a, a surge of momentum in that respect. My Just generation ships in orbit are going to be called the Slough Observers as well, so I'm hoping the Slough Observer will do a story. <laughs> um, just, to, just to chime in slightly on that, in terms of the publications, and, you know, I mean, every, every fiction novel and, uh, and piece is going to obviously go its own route in regards to that. But actually, I've had some experience in, and similar experiences of rejections and, and going to agents and, and publishers at different times. Um, but I've also, I, I've kind of pitched at a, a particular level. And I'm very aware that there are quite a few smaller independent publishers that I think will snap this up. You know, and I think they will snap up an awful lot of these pieces. And I think at the moment, quite a lot of the writers aren't very aware of that. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that probably we will discuss more in the writing forum as, uh, as the months wear on and people start to get their drafts together. So I wouldn't just feel that only certain pieces are going to come out in, in paperback or anything else, because I think actually there's a lot of independent publishers who will start to, to sort of, if where they see opportunities, you know, a commercial piece of fiction attached to a massive computer game, yeah, you know, is it good? Well, does that? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but you know, that's the, that's we'll the get, point. We'll make sure we get that right. <laughs> Absolutely. Any other questions in the room, guys? Yes. Just briefly, not so much a question, just a plea to get some stuff out because I'm sure that there is going to be a hunger for, if nothing more than training manuals, from vision <laughs> and just getting your mindset into the game. 
I, I can't see any reason why there just wouldn't be a hell, a hell of a demand, just building and building yeah. towards that launch. Absolutely. I mean, Kate's already mentioned she's going to bring hers out by Christmas. Um, I think certainly, you know, there's definitely a hunger from all the writers to get get to that point as fast as possible. I mean, mm -hmm. there's only too fast we could write, unfortunately, which is which is quite scary. But um, you know, certainly in my case, I, I do want to get that early sight of the game. Um, you know, in the alpha and beta bit because I just want to play it for a bit and make sure that my initial kind of I'm in the cockpit of an elite fighter ship again in the first time in 20 years what does it feel like to grab that control just nudge the, you know, nudge the throttle forward dive around a planet hit the hyperdrive hit the tourist drive whatever it is that we're using by that point what does that what does that evoke in me and then I've got to take that and I've got to go through my novel and go that's got to be in there. I've got to capture that essence. Until I've seen the game, I'm not going to be able to guarantee that I can infuse that into the novel. So that, that has got, that to me is one of the big, big milestones of the, the, the book can't come out until I'm absolutely sure I've captured that essence of grabbing that joystick for the first time and, and, and leaving the, you know, leaving, leaving the docking bay and, yeah, and flying off the ship. That's actually a really good point. I think the writers should probably get the game, no, say, no, six no, months no. on Just to touch on your point as well, um, actually, as part of my Kickstarter and the way in which I set my Kickstarter in terms of a lot of the pledges and, and privilege points, um, I kind of imagined my text as an event that is layered almost like an onion effectively so you could you could read the book in terms of yeah this revolution happened this is how it happened and so on and so forth but then you could go and find out what the imperials thought about it and then you could get the intelligence reports from the federation and then you could go and get the news coverage and then you could get personal testimonies from people who were just bystanders inside the, what was going on and so on and so on and so on and just thinking about all the different aspects of what would happen on a planet when a governor is deposed and a democracy is established. And I think that, you know, once you start to think about that kind of tapestry, you find all these tiny things that you can go, my word, once someone's bought into just the story, then they find another bit and another bit and another bit from another perspective. It's actually something Tolkien did. Um, because there is, in the end of uh, The Unfinished Tales, there is a, an entire section devoted to Sauron's perspective on what was going on during the, the Fellowship's quest and why he sent the ring rates to different places. So I can't claim to, uh, to be original in terms of, the, you know, of coming up with the idea in terms of, uh, of sort of setting that in that way. But certainly, you know, I, I think it's, it's good company to, to try, and, try and emulate or try and compare to. I'm also going to do a moment of shameless self-promotion. Mostlyharmlessbook.com, I'm doing all of my updates in the style of radio broadcasts from my planet or so they're all in character and I've got Twitter characters that are still out at space so I'm hoping to build my fiction through the updates and, and the characters as they begin to sort of converge on the point of the publishing it's, of the book as well. It's that word isn't it? Transmedia. Transmedia, Transmedia it's a horrible word. Yeah. It's Good old Henry Jenkins. Yes, we love Henry Jenkins. So are we to assume they follow the station cat as an integral part of the <laughs> <laughs> station cat may remain a cameo only, I'm afraid. Okay, well, final question from Dave before we have to close off this panel, unfortunately. Um, well, I have a question and a comment. First comment, obviously, is in regards to the elite and the fiction appealing to a wider audience. 
Well, I think Star Wars actually had evidence of that already because there are role players and gamers who want to buy the book who have nothing to do with the league whatsoever. Yeah, sure. And they really can just play into the game, learn about the universe, and get the background information. That's what they want. They want a new universe to play in. They don't have to play the question I want to ask is um, how do you think the separate novelizations will affect the immersiveness in the game? Oh, well, I'm hoping they'll add to it. Really, that's quite quick and simple question, answer, but I think it'll add to the immersion. I think if you can visit the planets that have been, you've read about mm. um, and find out that the, the description of the planet in the book is the same as in the... Cause one of the things about the Dark Wheel, I don't think they ever had um, Raxavia, you know, in the game. Every, every galaxy that I would... <laughs> galaxy I was looking for it. Press yeah. F, Raxavia, all right, maybe you can't find it. We, we're going to have the generation ships comment again, aren't we? Generation ships, you know, if, if you're now reading, reading what's in the books, and because we are working with Michael, you know, we can write about a planet that is going to be in the game. Yeah. Um, not mine, mine's set in deep space. Just <laughs> <laughs> we can, but I chose not but to. space <laughs> is actually in the game. So <laughs> <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a feature confirmed. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, as well, as part of the writer's packs, there were certain privileges and uh, uh, setups in the Kickstarter for naming areas and, you know, and other bits and pieces. Um, some people have elected to include those as part of what the story is. Um, some people haven't. Um, you know, that depends. Um, so you may well see locations that are, are specifically given you know, by the writers directly into what's there. So, you know, that would be interesting in itself. And also if they've, you know, if they've worked with their contributors and gone, okay, you gave me this amount of money, can you, you know, uh, what's your idea for something in the game? I'd like this planet to be called this. Okay, that's fine. Can I write it into my story? Yes, like this. Okay. You know, so it creates a, a wonderful connection in terms of, of everything pulling together. If I might just to add something to that, the other idea is that the stories that occur within game time, uh, there will be events <laughs> oh, oh, I hate you because mine's set, mine's set in 3265, so you know, there's nothing. I, kinda, I have to rewrite everything now. I fully, I fully intend to, as soon as the game is launched, I'm going to get into my ship and I'm going to fly out to Slough and I will sit in orbit. <laughs> and be bad-tempered at anyone who comes by. So if you want immersive, my character is the most bad-tempered woman that you've ever met. Well, so I think, if you want I think immersive... Again, I think, again, you know, names and opportunities to put names in the database and stuff. You know, I've yeah. added stuff related directly to my fiction. There is stuff on, you know, on the, the, the pledge list, stuff that I intend to do in-game. Yeah. You know, it's all part my of... My character's you know, called Angel Rose, which yep. is my character in the book, yeah. I'm not telling all... you who my character is, but it is in the book. <laughs> but you'll find him, you know, and you can... It's horrible. Um, so yeah. I, I think the, um, there'll be a lot of emotion um, added. I think if you, if I mean, certainly my ambition is to try and do to Elite Dangerous what the Dark Wheel did for the original. It's basically you've got that 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 game which is very compelling in its own right, but there's only so much you can do with the game. You can't you can't go beyond some of the scenery. You can't go beyond some of the experiences. Whereas in fiction, it's possible to go way beyond that, mm. and you know we've got the opportunity to shape a little bit of that. So, um, very much for me, it's it's it, in the same way the Dark Wheel took those wireframe graphics and allowed you to see what the inside of them looked like. Um, you know, we're going to have the opportunity to just take off the covers of those elite ships, and we're going to wander around the cargo bays, and we're going to we're going to drop down the you know the zero gravity chutes between decks and all that kind of stuff, and just give you that essence. Of what it's actually like to be on those ships, in between the frenetic activity that you experience as players in the game, 
Um, you know, what happens, you know, <coughs> you know what, what's the cup of tea around the table, you know, having, having lunch aspect of flying through space, which you're not going to experience in the game. What happens after you dock and how do the things unload from the cargo bay? All those sort of details, little bits of colour and essence that we can add, which you'll never really see in the game because they're kind of boring, but in a narrative bit, um, you know, that, that allows you to have little chance conversations or little observations with people and that's, that's what drives the plot forward. So you will get that colour and hopefully that will stick in your mind from reading the book as you play the game. You're going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the way the cargo is rolling off the ship, that kind of stuff. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Great stuff. That's it for that panel, guys. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, well, we're going to invite up Mr. Drew Rager. Drew Rager? God, I have been drinking. And <laughs> Drew Rager for a special... Can't spell it, can't say it. Special reading, and here's a but. Oh God! <laughs> no, don't worry. I'll get there in the end. <laughs> From his book, Elite Reclamation. I was a little nervous about. Uh, well, I still am a little nervous actually about doing this, but. Um, not so much about speaking and, and, and talking public, because I do quite a bit of that for my job. Um, but I, I was very conscious to my readership that I'd been very clear that I wouldn't give away any spoilers. Um, and so obviously reading a bit of the book is... <laughs> how does that work? Um, it's a little bit strange. What I've chosen to read today is um, a, a piece from the prologue. Um, if, if you know your books, prologue obviously is the kind of the bit that happens before the story really starts. There's no major characters in here. Um, you're going to have to wait for whenever I get the book finished to, uh, to do that. Uh, but this, I hope, will give you a little bit of a flavour of, of the sort of stuff I like to write um, and set the scene uh, for a little bit of eliteness. I've already mentioned that my story uh, involves the Imperials and I've chosen this section to kind of give you a flavour of how I see that enigmatic group of uh, uh, strangely politically motivated folks. So um, here we go. Elite Reclamation excerpt for LaveCon 2013. <coughs> it was, in Tenem Nesaver's not so humble opinion, one of the best resort planets for those that value doing as little as possible on vacation. Orbiting close to a red dwarf, the planet was tidally locked. The large warm sun stayed permanently in place above the sunbather, preventing any need for them to tediously rearrange their recliner to ensure uninterrupted enjoyment. The climate was constant all year round, and here, in the temperate zone, cloud cover was negligible. Being a red dwarf, there was no trouble with the inconvenient ultraviolet radiation that plagued the pleasure of hotter stars. One could find one spot and with a provision of food and beverages, enjoy it pretty much forever. That was certainly Tenem's plan. A commissioner with responsibility for a small local group of star systems, his job had become routine, quiet and trouble-free. The worlds were stable nowadays, unlike earlier times, he recalled with a shiver, when some tedious rebellion or uprising seemed to be happening almost every week. Back then, he'd have to be in the office almost every day. He wondered how he'd tolerated it. At least now he could enjoy the fruits of his labours. He sucked down another mouthful of his Zacquiso and Evil Juice, a curious purple-coloured beverage. It was allegedly brewed from beetles, so the story went, somewhere down in the Old World's region. 
Tenham had meant to visit those systems once, all so rich in ancient history, Lave, Dizo, Listy and the rest. Maybe next year, it was an awfully long way. Space travel remained something of an acquired taste. A faint musical medley gently started playing, and the words, incoming call, urgent, softly faded into his line of sight. He blinked in surprise and annoyance. The office calling him? At drink time, too? The accompanying video was of an attractive middle-aged brunette with bright green eyes and a mischievous-looking smile. He relaxed a little. Janu was his secretary. She organised his life for him and undertook a number of other pleasurable but surreptitious duties, too. Perhaps she'd organised one of their accidental yet curiously fortuitous meetings. Janu, Tenham said with his best air of nonchalance, unless you're offering to come down here and rub tea and island grub oil into my back for the next hour, I can't see any possible reason why you'd feel justified in interrupting me. Janu's next sentence, bereft of their usual banter, was short and to the point. It brought Tenham to his feet, his glass of evil juice dropping from his fingers, smashing on the ground and splattering his feet with shards of glass and thick purple liquid. Tenham spluttered in response. Are you sure? We've got footage bounced from a comm satellite. See for yourself. Jenu's image shifted right, and a glowing rectangle appeared in the vacated space. It quickly resolved into a second video feed. It was decidedly poor quality, with a low frame rate, but Tenham could see, easily make out the dark surface of a world, faint lights from a small city on the surface. A tactical overlay identified a number of swiftly moving objects descending towards it. Where's this? Keone. Which is? Tenham demanded, unable to recall the name. Moon of Daedalion. Janu waited for acknowledgement, and when it didn't come, she added, second planet in the prism system? It's on the edge of our jurisdiction. Oh, yes, uh, I remember. Prism system, of course. Of course. Janu's voice sounded appropriately demure. A flash of white light sparked on the video, whiting out the camera for a moment as it struggled to adjust its exposure. And once it had cleared, the area could be seen to be aflame, the city obscured <coughs> by smoke, the countryside around it burning fiercely. Simple airburst by the look of it, Janu said dispassionately. Enough to kill most. It'll leave a lot of the infrastructure intact. Randomius. Hyperspace diagnostics record multiple targets arriving. I've already worked the tracks back. It's the Imperials, no doubt about it. Jenna is nothing if not efficient. Tenham straightened. I thought those stards had been unusually quiet of late. Survivors? Unknown. Won't be many by the looks of it. Any clues on why they've done this? Jenu's face registered confusion. Well, that's the bit that doesn't make sense. There's nothing of value there, as far as we know. It's just a far-flung small-scale settlement. No appreciable trade. Gross planetary product is well below tax threshold. Nothing that warrants all this. We'd better assemble the heads of staff, put the Navy on standby. It's already done, boss. Tenham rolled his eyes and allowed himself a faint smile. Good girl. Pull everything we have on this... What was it again? Keone, Jenner replied. Keone, yeah, Tenham grinned. I'm heading back to the office now. I want all the data in an hour. No problem. And get me their smarmy excuse for an ambassador. The Imperial ambassador for the region was, as usual, fashionably late. A calculated insult aimed at enraging his Federation counterpart. Twelve minutes seemed to be the delay that the Imperials thought provided the greatest frustration value. 
long enough to be infuriating, short enough that nothing much could really be done with the wasted time. The Holofax system indicated a connection was being made, and then the Imperial ambassador appeared, flanked by two of his aides, apparently sitting at the far end of the table despite actually being several light years away. As usual, they were bedecked in their finery, flowing robes of rich colours, thick and heavy medallions, and knew this time what appeared to be jewel-encrusted tiaras. Imperial fashion was fleeting, but always ostentatious. They appeared deep in conversation as they showed up, a show of indifference also calculated to offend in the politest way possible. After a few moments, they looked up as if bemused to find themselves in the conference. Tenham had long ago become immune to their machinations. Commission and the saver, the Imperial Ambassador began, with a small incline of his head, which his aides copied like marionettes. My apologies for our tardiness. Such an unscheduled communication caused much consternation to our administrators. So many important meetings were moved so that we might accommodate you. Pray, how can we be of assistance? Tenham leant back in his chair, and he deliberately took his eyes off the ambassador, looked around the room as if thinking for a moment, and then locked eyes on him again. Why did you just bomb the crap out of one of my moons? One of the aides actually gasped in horror, a look of consternation crossing his face. Tenham smiled inwardly, failing to acknowledge the ambassador's title, lineage, and accordingly the appropriate respect his lofty rank demanded. It was a breach of protocol that might have started a war in more fraught times. The imperial ambassador made a subtle movement with his hand. The aide subsided. He'd rise above this crude and uncivilised behaviour, thus demonstrating his own comprehensive and gracious grasp of etiquette. The initial insults successfully exchanged and a confrontational agenda acknowledged, the meeting could now commence. To which moon are you referring? The Imperial Ambassador said with polite disinterest. The one with a capital city full of dead people, Tenham said, remaining deliberately antagonistic and uncouth. The one with the fires burning and the Imperial ships huddled in orbit around it. Does that help narrow it down? Tenham flicked his fingers forwards, and the satellite video feed Janu had previously shown him appeared between them. The Imperial Ambassador studied it for a few brief moments, and then consulted with one of his aides. Ah, yes, the Ambassador acknowledged. Perhaps you're referring to the uh, PRISM system. Tenham nodded along gamely. That's the one. The Imperial Ambassador allowed the faint trace of a carefully prepared frown to cross his features, and he looked up at Tenham as if to speak, and then turned back to his other aide as if to confirm something. Then his face cleared, and he nodded as if in appreciative understanding. I believe I understand the confusion, the ambassador said. If I might explain. A text message flashed up in Tenham's line of sight, visible only to him. It was Janu. I'd be delighted to hear it, Tenham interrupted, holding up his hand. But a moment, please. This time the other aide gasped and looked furious at another deliberate slight to his ambassador. Tenham acknowledged Janu's message and requested the detail. It's tantalum. They're after tantalum. Big deposits, apparently. It's for the new hyperdrive systems. Well, that would explain the sudden interest. Tantalum, already a relatively exotic metal, had seen its price increase by two orders of magnitude in recent months. New legislation and the decommissioning of old hyperspace technology had been on the priority agenda for a while now. Every jump-capable ship needed a new drive, and every new drive needed tantalum. 
Tenim faked listening to some conversation out of line of sight of the Holofac, nodding with an air of apparent consternation before turning back to the Imperials. It may interest you to know, he began, that I've just been informed that our Navy is going to be conducting a battle drill shortly. It's all routine, of course. Of course, the Imperial Ambassador nodded. If you feel your Navy is out of practice, that seems only prudent. Tenem smiled in response. By a curious coincidence, it appears we've selected the PRISM system as the zone in which to conduct our drills. It would be unfortunate if we weren't able to resolve this little matter beforehand. I'm sure we'd both agree any potential misunderstandings are best avoided. I completely concur, the Imperial Ambassador replied smoothly. So might I humbly suggest that you withdraw your forces from our moon and consider compensation for your unprovoked and hostile actions? In the interests of interstellar peace and cooperation, the Imperial Ambassador began smoothly, we'd naturally want to comply assiduously, unhappily. There is a legal matter that prevents us from so doing. Tenham's eyes narrowed. A legal matter? And the Imperial Ambassador nodded with an unconvincing, sympathetic frown. Indeed, without wishing to impugn your records, it would appear that your assertion that this moon is yours, that is to say it lies within the jurisdiction of the venerated Federation, is, in a word, and the Ambassador paused as if considering the precise word to use, erroneous. Tenham was taken aback. It was not what he was expecting. It's been settled for years. We colonised it decades ago. What are you talking about? It's never been an imperial system. The imperial ambassador now looked distinctly smug. Without wishing to indelicately contradict your statement, it transpires that it is, and it has been for some time. Nonsense! The ambassador flicked his own fingers forward with a little extra flourish for dramatic flair. A long legal document scrolled rapidly up between them the text rolling past at the dazzling speed. As they both watched, it slowed, and a particular passage was brought into focus, zooming in and becoming highlighted. Historic mining rights to the system were granted to the Empire, the ambassador noted in an offhand manner. Notwithstanding, notice of our intention to deal with the illegal occupation was vouchsafed on a number of occasions within various communiques, but alas, it appears the Federation have overlooked them. I saw no communicate. Tenem fumed before realising he was playing straight into the Imperial's hands. The first aid gestured quickly, and a series of date-stamped and detailed text messages appeared beside the legal document. Tenem had no doubt they contained the appropriate notifications, buried in obtuse and obfuscated language, couched in terms that no one would notice and almost impossible to spot. Given the dearth of response, we felt we had no recourse but to exercise our rights under section... Uh, and the Imperial Ambassador turned to his aide again, who whispered something. Yes, uh, section 48, subsection 2, paragraph 3.11, the forcible eviction of illegal occupiers. Let me see that. Tenham gestured towards the document and quickly submitted it for verification. To his dismay, his own systems came back quickly with the words, authentication confirmed in glowing green text. Tenem sighed. On a more positive note, the Imperial Ambassador continued, we have no intention in seeking recompense for the costs incurred in the eviction, or even distress caused by the many decades of illegal occupation of our sovereign territory. Most generous of you. However, 
might I humbly suggest you find an alternative venue for your practice drill? The echo of Tenim's previous words was a subtle but effective move. I'll take the matter under advisement. The imperial ambassador smiled thinly and courteously, inclined his head in the same infuriating fashion. Then if we have no other business? None whatsoever. A pleasure then, till the next time. Tedham gestured for the holofact transmission to end and the ambassador and his aides vanished in a glimmer of light. He sat still for a moment, allowing his frustration to ebb. Various ideas formed, each one quickly discarded in favour of the next, and he came up with a scheme he felt had merit. And then he contacted Janu. Mobilise the Navy, she asked immediately. No, Tedham replied. No? After what they did? Not our moon after all, apparently. Tenem replied offhand, the tantalum belongs to them, no doubt about it. We're on the back foot too, they'll have an effective blockade already. Penetrating that from a tactically inferior position? Too expensive, they've got the high ground. We're just going to let them waltz in and appropriate it, them? Her mouth curved in distaste. What about the colonists? Tenem shrugged, well, complete outrage of course. We'll lodge a number of strenuously worded official protestations of complaint naturally. Every possible and appropriate action will be taken. Short of actually doing something, you mean. Jenu clicked her tongue in disapproval and shook her head slightly. But what about the tantalum? Tenham stroked his beard carefully. Dangerous business, mining. Digging into the ground, extracting the ore, refining it. And just when you think you've got it home and docked, you find your freighters ambushed by pirates and you've lost a lot. I imagine it's going to be tough keeping a supply line open to such a remote system. Piracy is a curse. But there isn't any piracy in the prism system, Genu counted. Tenham looked across at her and raised his eyebrows. Not yet, no. Right, this is wonderfully one of those sections that we can easily just sort of skirt through if you guys have got no questions, which uh, is absolutely fine. Um, what we've got on the schedule is just basically any questions from you guys uh, about uh, the podcast itself, any of the, you know, the topics that we're covering, any of the actual shows we're doing, anything like that, uh, anything that goes into the shows or anything that you guys want to see. Um, any PvP questions? No <laughs> PvP questions. There are no PvP questions on this panel. Yes, Darren. About PvP. No, no, no. Which, if, in the game, who are you going to kill first? Oh, Alan. We're, we're all gunning for Alan. Alan likes to be a loser, so oh, we're all no, going to shoot well, Alan. Apart from me, uh, Pentax is the first person on my list. <laughs> I, I mean, Foz dies so often, it just wouldn't be fair, would yeah. it? To, you know, Killing me would just be boring. We're hoping Frontier give him godlike status so he can never actually die in game. Yes, absolutely. Or <laughs> yeah. well, the only way to kill him is with a very large rent. <laughs> no, Penthux is um, is a guy who role plays. Well, it's just to the point of absurdity, he really does, and he's been gunning for John because John's an imperial. Um, One of three, apparently. <laughs> oh, really? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alien. Do you think uh, when the game starts that Michael will have a vendetta against Cyclone? <laughs> I, I, I think he's, he's more likely to go after Dave Hughes for all the work that he's, uh, that he's caused him. I think that's a question for Michael, surely. <laughs> I would pick your favourite, yeah. 
plenty of time. Guys, 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 let the walkie win. <laughs> <laughs> In. Also, is Kate going to do any more um, guest appearances on the show? Uh, Kate is always welcome on the show and uh, has suggested that she'd be more than happy to come and uh, um, help us out from time to time. And we would love that without a shadow of doubt, uh, scheduling uh, permitting. As long as she doesn't uh, give me any more Trumbulls vaccinations again, I think we'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> Kate? No. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I'm on record as saying one of my favourite websites ever is Men with Cats. Men with Beards with Cats. So. <laughs> I was going to say, you're on record saying that. <laughs> if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're comparing, you know, interesting... If, there, if we're comparing interesting novel websites like that, you should also check out um, the Look at My Fucking Red Trousers. It's very good. <laughs> Men in red trousers. Wow. For, for comparing websites, I'm going to be very quiet at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions from the guys? Girls? Wow. Yes. Drew at the back. Just, just a quick question. What, what is it about... Um, elite and podcasting in general that has got you guys to devote so much of your time. You know, you're not getting paid, you're not, you know, not, not going to personally benefit from it in a, in a tangible way. What is it that gets you guys up? You, you know, you've organised all this on the behalf of which I'm sure we're all immensely grateful. You know, you've, you've expanded it, you've got your microphone, you've got your gear, all this stuff, and you, you spend hours editing, I know, because I've seen how big this stuff is before it gets <laughs> what is it that keeps you guys doing this? What, 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 why? I think I speak for Saul when I say it's the bitches in the street cred. <laughs> 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 yeah, girls love nerds. No, um, I mean, just from my point of view, it, it is a lot of work. Um, but at the same time, it's something that we've already said in this room is the fact that we've been waiting such a long time for this game. Yeah, and all those times where you know, it is late nights, it's sort of one o'clock in the morning when we finish recording an episode and stuff, and you know, we're all getting a bit cranky with each other and stuff. Um, the way I sort of think about it is, if you take yourself back, or if I took myself back to a year, you know, a year in the past, uh, and speak to the person I was then, and say, look, guess what, Chris? Elite's getting made. The game is going to get made, and you have the opportunity to get involved with a great community um, and do something um, that you know people enjoy, and also allows you to spend time in the universe that you loved when you were a kid. Um, yeah, that that person a year ago wouldn't believe it. You know, been waiting for the game for such a long time. Um, <laughs> and then, consequently, when I think back to you know when you're tired and stuff and you're doing the show, um, that person from a year ago comes up to me and says, "You don't know how good you've got it. You know, shut up and just get it out there." So. And I think we're all tremendously lucky that the, the dream has come true, basically. I think as well, um, I got on the bike when, um, when I made the decision to help. And, you know, it has been just a blur of, you know, I, sp I, I spent for sometimes I spent days just literally sat with the Frontier Gazetteer there and me here and just, just 
doing that and having to go back over and meticulously, you know, sort of pull together things for a timeline and everything else. Um, I'm proud of it. Every, every minute that I spent a, of doing that, every minute that I spent doing this, um, every bit of, uh, uh, you know, moment that Chris uh, bugs me on Skype and says, oh, you know, I can't find a, a computer <laughs> noise. Have you got anything? And, you know, yeah, here you go. Um, you know, I love that. Well, and I also... Exciting music. What can you do for me? I, I, also, I also love the fact that, and Foz won't say this, um, you know, quite so clearly in, uh, perhaps in, uh, for himself, in that um, to start with, he knew very little about editing anything. And he's learnt how to do most of it in the period of mm. three or four months that we've been working on the stuff. Because one of the things John said at the beginning was he didn't <laughs> want to be the only editor. And actually all four of us can edit the podcast. Uh, which is great, and all four of us can produce the adverts. All four of us can do, you know, some of the other bits and pieces. So actually, one of the things that keeps this going and you know brings it back is that dynamic. You know, we Chris and I have known each other for years. I met these two till tonight, and we still you haven't had, know we that. had a chat, have we? Yeah, <laughs> there hasn't been time. Yeah. <laughs> we actually it clicks so well in terms of uh, uh, the bouncing between <clears> us, and you know, and I don't think. You know, there's been one occasion in, in all that time when I've got irritated. And we all know when it was. We all know when it was. We all know who did it. And, um, you know, and, you know, you can't, you can't buy that. <laughs> Getting irritated. You know. Any other questions, guys? Darren? To follow up on that, when the game does come out, will you have time for this still? Hmm. Well, yeah, we've booked off a couple of weeks, haven't we, to play the game, because, and then and then we'll come back. I, I think take time off my busy job. I, I, it would obviously depend on what the the community is at that stage. Mm. And to be perfectly honest, um, I always enjoy you know, when you when you do something you love, you want to keep doing it, and you know that. You know, most of us know that. I'm very lucky to be in a job that I love, and actually, this I've enjoyed. 98% of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you know, I've loved 98% of it. So, you know, I, I, I think we'll just keep going until we can... Yeah, but we want it in-game. You know, that's what we ultimately <laughs> want. So we need all of you, before Michael goes home, to twist his arm, break uh, as many fingers as you possibly can, and his toes if necessary, to make sure that Lay Radio actually does exist. Well, and, actually, uh, we, we've got a bit of an issue coming up because I don't have alpha access. Oh, oh man. No, don't you do start to. Do you have alpha access? Uh, I have surprisingly little. Yeah, yeah. He's got, he's got no access. That's, that's your own look. That's not, that's no, that's not really true. Yeah. We're all right over here. That's your look. So there's going to be some kind of weird episodes where Fozzer and, and Alan get to talk about how awesome it is. And, and me and Chris will just be sat there going, well, can we come around your house? Can we play? You see, it's the, it's the diversity in the podcast crew that really sort of give it its strength. <laughs> it? It'll actually, it won't go that way. What will happen is we'll be in the middle of recording and then there'll be a explosion and someone go, well, what happened? Oh, Foz died again. I've got him! <laughs> I haven't done nothing. I have registered my commander name. Do you, yes. do you, do you want to guess? Oh, please tell me it's Thane. <laughs> oh, excellent. Camilla. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I don't know. I mean, in, in all truthfulness, we're, we're a podcast about the development of a computer game. Yeah, that's really yeah, what we are. We... we, we we're a digest in terms of what information is being released by Frontier. We, you know, we throw it around ourselves. We speculate on it. Um, when the game comes out, 
I'm not entirely sure what what is left to say. Um, we will oh. probably be doing um, podcasts and stuff on the expansions and things like that. And yeah, it's it's basically we're a community podcast. So if what the community? Yeah, if there's, if a, there's purpose, a purpose, if the community say to us, you know, we'd like to hear about these sort of things or we want these sort of things included, then you know, yeah, I'm sure we'll try and do something. We're just waiting for that first email to say, we've had enough of Foz. Can we? <laughs> and then we'll, we'll call it quits. What they don't know is I keep on deleting those emails that we receive every <laughs> single week. Yeah. Really, the second round of uh, writer's licenses would be all over that. <laughs> if you're playing the game, will you have time to do all this? Well, I know myself, I run a roguelike podcast. I don't have time to play roguelike as much as I used to. Well, one of the things that we talked about a lot in the podcast is the fact that most of the people in this room won't have time to play the game either. So... Well, when I'm not writing the amount of stuff that I'm writing, I think I might have time to play the game and manage a little bit of podcasting. Or, you know, we could have times when... I mean, we have discussed weeks when, you know, some of us wouldn't be there. Mm. And I was rather excellently substituted for by, uh, by the excellent Dave Hughes. So, um, uh, you know... Who was our first choice, by the way? What is this? Why did you feel the need to justify that, by the way? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought there was a rumour. Your radio station set at the time in a dynamic universe where stuff that the community is doing is affecting the universe. And you'd be reporting it. Potentially. Uh, th there are many angles, <laughs> okay? And we'd actually be very prepared, and this is, this is us basically saying that we're sluts. And we will do this in any way, shape, or form. We would be very prepared to uh, to uh, amend and uh, uh, make our radio station work for whatever the immersion quality of the game is. Um, you know, it, it requires a logistical concern, and you know, no one's no one's expecting Frontier to do that. Um, if they want to, how cool! <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, as part of part of the development of process, mm -hmm. your Frontier will be able to use the radio show in in effect to launch. Yeah things into it, you broadcast it, a new discovery on... Fozzer is willing to be flushed out of an airlock on a weekly basis, you know, we've got no problem with that. Fozzer is flushed out of an airlock on yeah. a weekly basis, that's nothing or new. We'll, or we'll bring back Station Watch. No, we won't, no, no, no definitely won't, but no. no, really. no. There is a real downer in the room. <laughs> I, think, I think the realistic thing is, as long as we feel, as long as we're excited about getting together and talking about stuff to do with the game, we'll keep doing it. Um, and I think if we get to the stage, you know, between us where we're getting together and we're, we're having to find things to talk about or we're not interested in what we're talking about, then, you know, that's, that's the time then, then we won't do it. But, I, you know... I can't see that ever happening. I can't see that happening so far, but... Well, it, it, kind, of, it kind of happens because, um, you know, with all the newsletters that have come out, um, uh, we, we've coined the phrase ship porn, um, for instance. <laughs> that some people like ship porn and some people don't like ship porn. Um, Hold on a second. You are picking that up as ship on your uh, microphone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd hate it, for this to be released on, with a. <laughs> um, but uh, for instance, um, only last week we had the newsletter and we had the the cockpit, and it's only one screenshot, and that's it. I've never been so in excited in all my life. <laughs> you know, if only I'd known that that was going to happen. You know, the guys would have said, "Do you like this ship? Do you like that ship?" And like going, "Well, it's just ship porn." If I could have just said to them, "All they need is one cockpit pick." <laughs> And I will be, that's it. Um, See, so again, we can edit that sentence and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you offering to edit this one? <laughs> 
I don't think anything's going to top Demon Debugger. Yeah. <laughs> I think Demon Debugger was that, that. We had about an hour worth of hilarity after Demon Debugger. The fact that Foz wrote it down and thought it looked good as it did. Intro. I'm telling you, on paper that was fine. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, I, I suggest we hit the bar. Um, well, as far as night goes, I think you four guys have done quite well, so I think... Yeah. Yeah. Wow.